0: You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live.
1: Well, hello, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo here in the studio. We have an action-packed show for you folks here tonight, 7 to 9 p.m. Follow us on Facebook at our Facebook page, Review and Preview Sports, and Instagram at Review and Preview. Make sure to subscribe, smash the like button. Happy Veterans Day as well um, to all the veterans out there that have served for the country. Follow us on anchor.fm slash Review and Preview for the audio of tonight's podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. Kyle, thank you very much for joining me tonight.
2: Absolutely, look forward to it. Definitely got an action-packed show and a fun show ahead of us within these next two hours.
1: And I'm really excited to introduce our guest here tonight who will be joining us in just a few minutes, uh, Michael Owens. He is the host of Here Come the Irish Podcast. You can follow him on Facebook and Instagram. We'll ask him where the uh, you folks can find him in just a moment, but We're going to talk about this Notre Dame-Clemson game tonight for a while, for about the first 45 minutes of the show with Michael. And this was the most watched college football game of the season, Kyle. Uh, The Irish pulling off a miraculous victory over the Clemson Tigers, bringing them down. And before we bring up Michael, just want to show you some highlights from the game and uh, truly a classic that I will never forget personally as a Notre Dame fan, and here we go. Classic, showing back to 1993, Michael Owens, the host of Here Come the Irish Podcast. Hello, good evening, and thank you so much for joining us here tonight.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, that highlight video got me pumped up. I um, feel just like last night, man, everybody around Notre Dame Nation still got all that energy from, uh, from Saturday night. Yeah,
1: and um, you know, I always look forward to watching your Instagram live videos when you do them on your channels. Uh, for those of you who don't know, where can people find you and your content? Yeah, um, I
0: forget what the exact usernames are on all platforms, but as long as you type in here, come the Irish, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, you'll find um, all of our content.
1: Awesome stuff, awesome stuff, and actually, I'm a Notre Dame fan from New York, so I know uh, a lot of Notre Dame fans around here, but I know, uh, are you an alumnus of the university?
0: I am not. I actually um, played college baseball at a small school in Kentucky, and I transferred back home where I'm uh, broadcasting from here in Indianapolis, but uh, believe it or not, I get that question a lot. But I actually did not go to to Notre Dame. Just a Subway alumni is what they want to call us. So,
1: very nice. The the fandom is true. It's uh, it's large, and it's uh, a lot of people that go to a lot of different schools and whatnot love Notre Dame football. So, Michael, me and Kyle, our first question to you tonight, and we just want to talk to you about this whole game. So Notre Dame comes into this game, fourth ranked team in the country, seven and zero, six and zero little premature there. And then Clemson, number one-ranked team coming in at 7-0. and This is the first time Notre Dame has uh, knocked off the number one team in the nation since 1993, where they took down Florida State. Notre Dame was ranked second. But, Michael, Notre Dame, they limped to the finish line Saturday night. What went through your head when they got that final fourth down stop in double OT? Yeah,
0: you were mentioning that uh, back in nineteen. 93, and they knocked off Florida State. That was, was uh, two years before I was even born. As a um, new Notre Dame fan, um, a younger Notre Dame fan, it's really nice to see that big win. It's kind of the first, like, marquee win this century, um, and for me as a fan. And then also, so, yeah, um, towards the end of the game, when Clemson scored with a few minutes left, um, we were watching the game, and they called Notre Dame was going to drive down the field. They got that pass interference call, and Dabo Swinney kind of got in uh, the referee's ear, and they, they flew it up, and Notre Dame didn't score there. Um, so I was getting a little bit nervous. I was having flashbacks to some games where they couldn't pull it off the road during the Kelly era. But, I mean, we just had to keep your faith because um, you never know. As long as there's some time on the clock, they end up stopping Clemson and getting the ball back and scoring to send it to overtime. So I've been a sports fan long enough to know that um, you got you got to stay in there till the end because you never know what can happen at the end and the Irish were able to come back.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a good point. And, um, Kyle, was there any uh, doubt in your mind that Notre Dame would blow it? Because
2: I had some doubt. I mean, there was definitely some doubt. Um, There was definitely some concern, obviously, because you know what what Clemson is going to bring. What I was personally surprised with, Tom, and we were talking about it was how well DJ, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the last name, but the quarterback for Clemson, I'm just going to call him DJ for now, how he performed in only his second game. I know that he played the week prior because of COVID-19, Trevor Lawrence getting diagnosed with COVID-19 but he was extremely impressive against a Notre Dame defense that is one of the best in the country. So of course there was some doubt whether or not Notre Dame was going to be able to win. And then obviously when it got forced into OT, but Notre Dame kept on fighting.
1: They did. And Michael, I know once they got that fourth down stop, I was so excited because they blew multiple leads in this game. We were up 23 to 10 in the second quarter. And then, You know, from there, they had that touchdown to Davis Allen. That was key for Clemson. Uh, Yui Belay is very underrated there. I said it. Um, He's a very underrated quarterback. But I I think the key to this game was us stopping ETN with the run game.
0: Yeah, um, I got a bunch of stats down here for i like to mention the stats because I feel like stats are unbiased. So I'm going to kind of dive into those. So DJ, like I said, I'm not going to pronounce the last name. Was 29 for 44, 439 yards and two touchdowns. ETN, 18 rushes for only 28 yards and one touchdown. That is just completely insane. Notre Dame dominated the trenches in the running game. Obviously, they gave up a lot of um, passing yards. And like you mentioned too, that sapphire uh, Clemson was kind of taken over in that third quarter, and the defense was able to like seemed like the whole third quarter. Um, and then, but but the thing was, what Clemson was able to do last week. They were able to get the, uh, the ball to eat in different ways. He had nine catches for 57 yards. They did a lot of cool screen passes and stuff, which I wish the Irish would do a little bit more with Kyron Williams. But the, um, what changed this game was in the trenches. I mean, Notre Dame was able to establish the running Clemson was not. Um, that's kind of awesome with all the recruiting stuff that Notre Dame had the bigger guys. And the, I guess you'd say um, physicality reminds me of the 80s, old, old Notre Dame, Lou Holtz football.
1: I love it. They're very good, good running the football. Um, Kyle, uh- what did you think of that storming the court at the end of the game, guys? I personally thought that was insane. Maybe not the best display for TV, considering we're in a pandemic, but I personally loved it as a Notre Dame fan. What do you guys think?
2: I mean, personally, I, I think it was really, really, really bad. Just because didn't three weeks ago, they had to cancel the game against Wake Forest because they had like 20 cases on their own team that had COVID-19. And then you have the entirety of the stadium rush out onto the field, you know, and them themselves, Clemson, you know, Trevor Lawrence, their star quarterback had was just getting over COVID-19. So to have that display, obviously, you know, Tom, this goes back, this is in the same conversation of uh, Justin Turner coming back out onto the field and celebrating the World Series. You know, uh, uh, the morals tell you no, but the emotion behind it tells you OK, and, and I guess in this circumstance with Notre Dame, it's kind of under that same assumption, same type of vibe. But again, at the end of the day, I mean, that's it's really, really dangerous to see what can happen. Because like I said prior uh, with the Justin Turner incident, you know, just a couple of days ago, it was announced that 12 members or or five or six members of the Los Angeles Dodgers were diagnosed with COVID-19. So it is a you know, it it, it is there and we have to be aware of it. I don't think it's a good look considering that Notre Dame themselves just had that just dealt with that just three weeks ago, but I get it from the emotional standpoint as a fan that it might be difficult to withhold yourself from doing so.
1: What do you think, Michael? I personally, as Andrew Hopper just commented, it's an upset over number one at home. So I see why, but the optics aren't great.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, you you brought a lot of good points. I'm kind of on the fence on this. I mean, um, obviously with the COVID and everything going on, I know the students were tested earlier in the week. I'm not sure, like, right before game time or several days before. So they're all testing. If they tested positive, they weren't allowed to go. Uh, I don't think anybody in the celebration had masks on, but then again, they're all touching each other too. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of a bad look. But also, I really haven't heard, heard a lot of backlash. Like, no one's re- – I mean, there's been a few media stuff saying negative. But no one's really completely, like, completely vast university. It's kind of went away. But there are also – another aspect too, it's like each – uh, student had their own decision to go down there or not. No one was forced them to go down there. Um, I mean, fifty years from now, you're going to say oh, I was on, I storm the field, or you're going to say, oh, I was afraid of the virus. So I mean, it's kind of each person's decision. Got to live your life a little bit. So I guess it kind of is what it is. I mean, like I said, I kind of on the fence about it, where and the whole yeah. situation.
1: Uh, but back to the game, though, there was a lot of doubts about Notre Dame and their head coach Brian Kelly about beating an elite college football team because we saw what happened two December's ago when they played. Clemson in the college football playoff, a lot of people were confident heading into that game. A lot of people have been asking this question all week, if Notre Dame would have won if Trevor Lawrence was on their center, where do you stand with that?
0: Yeah. um, If you want me to start off here. um, So how can Notre Dame improve? It's not like Notre Dame played a perfect game. It's not like they played absolutely perfect and they have no room for improvement. Um, so I saw Notre Dame had seven penalties. I mean, they can clean that up before the ACC championship game. If they m- met again, um, there was a drop pass by Michael Mayer, which could have been a touchdown. It was only uh, three points. That was a mistake. False start by Mayer earlier in the game. That could have been a touchdown. So that's some more points they could have got there a fumble by Ian book. That's more points. Um, Braden Lindsay didn't play. Um, he's like one of the, he's like the fastest receiver we got on the team. We don't have that deep threat against Clemson last week. It was more physical receivers um, Lawrence Keyes didn't play. That's kind of a long shot. I'm not sure if he'll play the rest of the year or he'll play that see much playing time with Avery Davis there in the slot, but he didn't play. Um, so Notre Dame has a lot of room for improve, improvement for the ACC championship game. So a lot of people say Trevor Lawrence didn't play, but Notre Dame has a lot of room for improvement too. And then kind of touching on Clemson. I know they were missing a few guys on defense along with Trevor Lawrence, but with those statistics, I just um, said DJ, their backup quarterback, Ugoele, um, 439 passing yards. Like how much more can Trevor Lawrence improve on i mean it wasn't the air where the clemson tigers had problems it was on the ground so and there was also a play too uh late in the game. it's like fourth and one where dj was able to push kyle hamilton to get a first down i'm not sure if trevor lawrence could have done that so both teams have room for, for improvement clemson a little bit more than Nerd Dame, but i mean i don't care if they have hardly anybody travel. i'm i'm as a Notre Dame fan i'm really proud of the win i think that they have a chance to beat them again in the acc championship and uh Sorry for that long answer, but that was kind of my statistics behind it. No, it's good, and I think it's valid because Notre Dame, I think they could
1: win with this defense. You look at the defense, it's 10th ranked in the nation, uh, according to uh, NCAA.com, and then they outrushed Clemson 208-34. to 34. So I think you're right, Michael. The game plan of stopping ETN, it, it worked, and they took him away And then Clemson was pretty much left with guys like Davis Allen, Amari Rogers, their wide receiver. So I just think overall the the running and the defense, Kyron Williams, who quite frankly had a career night, sophomore, 65-yard touchdown on the second play from scrimmage, uh, had two touchdowns in overtime too and was named ACC running back of the week. What are your thoughts on him, man? Because, I mean, he's just been fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like not anything we expected too. Like last year, um, Notre Dame had Tony Jones Jr. He was a he was a solid back, but I mean Kyron Williams just took his game to the next level. Like it's crazy that he went from last year hardly seeing the field to being the starting running back. And the thing is, too, it, a lot of people don't didn't notice it's his pass blocking. Like Venable's um, blitzed a lot, and he picked up picked up every pass block. Man, he was out there running. That obviously a lot of his yards came off that first yard, but um, he had a great uh, 140 yards total, three touchdowns. I mean. He's like one of the best running backs of the Kelly era. And then we got Chris Tyree behind him too. He's got a lot of talent. So I'm really excited. Like this is one of the most talented running backs Notre Dame has had um, behind his awesome offensive line and Ian Book too. Uh, I was really impressed with him stepping up this year. I'm excited for his future. Love the
1: O-line. And Kyle, I I, I know you and I were talking about this before the show and it kind of caught us both by surprise how uh, Kyron Williams, three plus rushing touchdowns against Clemson is not something that's easy to accomplish. In fact, he's the first running back to do it since Dalvin Cook in 2016, and the only other running backs that have been able to do that in this decade have been Derrick Henry and Todd Gurley, Kyle. I mean, where do you think Kyron Williams stands amongst these elites? I mean, clearly it seems like he's heading to the NFL.
2: I mean, yeah, it's it's huge. You know, Dalvin Cook coming out of FSU, Derrick Henry coming out of Bama, and then Todd Gurley coming out of Georgia, and then to have a guy in Kyron Williams – who Tom, you said, is only a sophomore. This guy, obviously, is not going to leave for the NFL this year, but can potentially next year entering the season for the NFL, um, entering the college season next year, can potentially be one of these named quarterbacks to make sure you watch next year you know, coming towards the draft. I think that he's put himself in a category, a, a pretty fantastic category. At one point in time, Todd Gurley was the best in the league. Last year, Derrick Henry was the best in the league, and now Dalvin Cook is emerging as an MVP candidate in the NFL. And for his name to be a part of those other three names is tremendous.
1: Yeah, Michael, I mean, you brought up Ian Book too. And I think Kyron Williams isn't this successful without the quarterback play of Ian Book and the bad boys up in front of him, that huge hog mo- those huge hog mollies on that offensive line. Um, I'm a Giants fan, so I know Dave Gettleman calls offensive linemen hog mollies. But uh, Ian Book was solid in this game, a 90.7 passing grade. And I know you're big into stats. He was pretty good on the ground, too, 67 yards on the ground. And this is a guy who's only thrown one interception all year. He's ranked eighth in the Heisman Trophy standings. How do you evaluate his performance in this game? Because there was a lot more good than bad to
0: take from it. Yeah, um, uh- before I mentioned Ian Book, you're talking about Kyron Williams. The crazy thing is, like, I don't think he played um, beyond like four games last year, so I don't think he lost a year of eligibility. And I keep forgetting too that all these guys could technically come back next year. That'll be something to think towards the end of the season. Like Ian Book is a fifth-year senior, but I don't think anyone loses eligibility this year, so he can come back. I'm not sure about something he wants to do. Um, any of these guys could come back, which would be crazy to think about. But uh, like transitioning to Book, um, like I said, 22 for 39 for 310 yards, um, 14 rushes for 67 yards. So those, those rushing kept Notre Dame alive when the receivers couldn't get open. He could scramble um, that play at the end of the fourth quarter to send it to overtime. When he, he had to scramble and use his feet. He faked inside for the uh, the defensive end to kind of bite inside and he went back outside and was able to find the receiver for a touchdown. Um, his, he's not like an elite running quarterback like Wimbush was or like, he's got that breakaway speed. He's like just good enough to um, be solid, and be a good dual threat, man. He, he finally stepped up. We had a lot of doubts by him. I know he had a great record in Notre Dame, but he never won the big game. And uh, it was really awesome to see him step up this weekend. I'm, I'm really confident him moving forward the rest of the year than in the ACC check game, um, hopefully. But man, I was really proud of him. As you
1: can see here, here's one of his highlights early in the game or early in the second half, Javon McKinley, who's really young, talented wide receiver. And then you see Michael Mayer, the freshman tight end, one of the very few five-star recruits Notre Dame has had in quite some time a couple good highlights there from book but I was a little concerned once he had the fumble Michael at the one yard line with one minute left in the third I felt like Clemson just completely like took over the momentum from there I mean Notre Dame did have some miscues in this game that led to uh Jonathan Dorr field goals he had a lot of them he was very accurate actually Uh, a couple of them were close but you're right, the huge pass to Adrian Davis in the end zone uh, for the game-tying touchdown, that was big. Um, and then in the second overtime, he had a big run on a second and 15. And then third and three, the to pass to Skronic. Um, That eventually led to the eventual game-winning score, putting Notre Dame up big. Kyle, where do you stand with Ian Book? Because I know... You're kind of on the fence about him, about being an NFL quarterback. I think he still has ways to go. But as far as college is concerned, I mean, he's pretty darn good.
2: Yeah, I think as a college quarterback, he's been good. Two years ago when he was replaced, uh, when he replaced Brandon Wimbush, I was actually surprised because Brandon Wimbush, they were talking about him being NFL caliber. And then Ian Book steps in and he doesn't necessarily perform at the highest of levels. And they have the run game carry and the defense carry producing products like uh, um, like Josh Adams, who's in the NFL now, uh, Mike McGlinchey, Quentin Nelson, uh, protecting the quarterback, allowing them to have time, defensive prospects like a Jalen Smith, uh, a Jerry Tillery. But he stepped into his own. I don't know if I'd go as far as saying he's an NFL quarterback. He needs to develop. He's ways away. But – this is a great, you know, this is a great pinpoint game that, hey, I was the quarterback for Notre Dame when they beat Clemson. I think this is a huge thing in his resume that he could run with and develop his game based off of in terms of confidence.
1: And what do we think of this comment here about Mayor? Uh, guys, he does not look like a freshman out there. I mean, if you're being compared to Minnie Gronk as an 18, 19 year old freshman, that's some pretty high praise. No doubt. Michael, what's your take on Mayor? Because, yeah, quite frankly, I, mean, I size, think he's, he like
0: he's been there for.
1: Sorry, I think I had a little uh, technical glitch, but uh, I know you were oh, saying. Yeah. Sorry. You, you were saying it looks like he's been there for a while, which I happen to agree with. Uh, what do you think his best element is as a tight end? If you had to pick one, which I know is probably difficult. <laughs>
0: The uh, best element would be um just his size because you'll see him he can um, get defenders off of him um to get open and then once he catches the ball he can he can you've seen it several times where just arms defenders to the ground you get those extra yards those uh crossing routes on third down he's just so big he, he can get open in tight spaces and then once he gets the football he just he can step arm defenders right off of him and he's not going to be there long so when he's um uh, when he turned here after his junior season he's going to probably be in the nfl and i saw uh, Todd McShay, talking on, uh, before I came here earlier today, talking about his size and how big he is. So, I mean, he's definitely going to be up there, like one of the first couple rounds Cole commit was. you um, can be like a Rudolph in the NFL. And, yeah, Notre Dame's um, definitely got a really good tight end.
1: What do you guys think? Maybe late first round, early, early to mid-second?
2: Oh, yeah, I would say more of a late second round pick just because there's um, other tight ends. I know out of Florida, Kyle Pitts. Um, I believe there's a tight end out of Pittsburgh as well. And then, Tom, we were talking about it. Uh, Pat Vermuth, I believe the name was pronunciation-wise, out of Penn State. Yeah. Those are like the tight ends that I know are the, the cream of the crop. But definitely the way that he's performing, definitely a late second round or maybe right. early third. That's if he went
1: this year, which I think is very unlikely. I think he has to stay. I mean, he would have to stay another year because he's only, he's only a freshman. So, oh, yeah, yeah, my bad. If we're talking oh, yeah. next year. I think late first, early second would suit him really well. I mean, you just look at the big third down catch he had, a couple of clutch catches late. He reminds me of Mini Gronk, which is – I mean, they wear the same number. He's just a really fun player to watch. I think yeah. he might be the most exciting player to watch on this team, quite frankly. Um, but let's let's uh, let's get to the offensive yeah, line. No. That, um, another thing. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, if you watch the podcast, question mark for Notre Dame this season for me was um, Ian Book, obviously, which we touched on, and then the receiving game. So, Javon McKinley had five catches for 102 yards, and he had a great game against Clemson. Avery Davis, who came into South Bend as a quarterback, he's doing a great job in the slot, had four catches for 78 yards. Mayer, who we just touched on, five catches for 67 yards. And then Ben Skronik, the transfer from Northwestern, four catches for 33 yards, so those guys were always the biggest concern, Nerding's passing attack, and those guys, and they stepped up against Clemson um, and helped make this uh, Notre Dame attack balanced, which was the biggest question mark throughout the season for me. I agree,
1: and I, I think another thing, too, the offensive line has just been outstanding. These guys are pretty much all seniors except for the center. Michael, a lot of big veterans up front. Talk about their impact and which player on that line sticks out to you the most.
0: As far as I think uh, Aaron Banks, just by looking at it, might be the biggest one, but I mean, the, it's a whole line as a unit. Cause I mean, a couple of years back we had Nelson and McGlinchey and that was a great offensive line. And to think and that, that often had award for the best in the country, but that year as they had Wimbush wasn't as good of a balanced passing attack. And it was just kind of one dimensional. Um, this Notre Dame team with the, the running attack and Ian book with the passing attack, which we were talking about is more, um, is not one dimensional, but the whole offensive line is a unit. I mean, last year, if you're watching those games, they had like 30 false starts last year. I mean, they've cut up on that. Um, that has nothing to do with size, just about coaching, um, being disciplined. But overall, this the whole line is a unit. I mean, all the um, experience they have, like some of these sophisticated blocking scheme, which I'm not a football expert by any means. I mean, they're all on their blocks. Size is just tremendous. Um, so this the whole unit, Liam Eikenberg out there a couple of weeks ago with the black eye. I mean, a lot of great talent on the offensive line. That's probably the, the position that Notre Dame- recruited the best under Kelly.
1: I happen to agree with that. I think they're really good. I mean, I like Liam Eichenberg too. He's been there for a while. I know he played through a game with that black guy. Remember that uh, vicious uh, hit he took? Um, and then Hainsey and Kramer have been starters for a while. This unit only gave up two sacks to a Clemson team that has pass rushers like Miles Murphy, K.J. Henry, who were tough matchups for Eikenberg and Hainsey. But they did great. And they shined really well. You mentioned uh, Jake Venables before as a tackling machine, and uh, Balin Specter as well. I mean, this Clemson defense is fantastic, and quite frankly, the offensive line outshine them. They dominated. I mean, you look at the running game numbers. it's. I mean, it speaks for itself. So I was just very flattered by this performance overall.
2: Mike, the next talking point that I want to get to um... – with the, fighting Irish, uh, with the Fighting Irish on offense, Javon McKinley had five receptions, 102 yards. Avery Davis four receptions, 78 yards, and a TD. Offensively, Notre Dame ended the final three uh, final three drives with touchdowns. But how do they build on this momentum on the road against a Boston College team? Yeah,
0: um, so like the last couple of weeks, like Notre Dame's been preparing for the Clemson game, um, it, like four or, five, or four or five games a year, they're all about the run. And then against Georgia Tech and against Pittsburgh, they kind of started getting a little bit better through the air. We didn't know if they'd have enough to beat Clemson. So we know the passing attack's there. So I just know um, has got the running attack. So I just want to continue to see the balanced attack against Boston College. I want to see um, all these guys continue to get catches, uh, improving stuff uh, for later in the year. And the crazy thing is uh, coming into the year, guys are getting all these catches that we expected. We expected Kevin Austin Jr., who's been hurt a lot through his Notre Dame career, was a four star guy to be start- starting. Expected Braden Lindsey, who's been hurt a lot this year, starting. Uh, Lawrence Keyes in the slot, who was a four star guy. He's been had a concussion and stuff this year. And you got all these guys stepping up, so it just shows the depth to Notre Dame. Like I said uh, earlier, the biggest question mark was the receiving game. And I mean, they've already proven it, so just really continue to be uh, balanced on offense and don't have a let them game um, against Boston College.
1: And then switching over to the defensive side of the ball, guys, uh, senior linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa had that fumble recovery off ETN for a touchdown, and I want to show it because it's basically he just ripped it out of the hands of ETN. As you can see, just bullied his way to that football and really created some distance early on. yeah, uh, uh what exactly – obviously, he won ACC linebacker of the week, which was big. Uh, what were your thoughts on his production, Michael, and who else stood out to you? Because obviously this Notre Dame team has a lot of guys, a lot of veterans on that defense.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, well, Clark over when Notre Dame was struggling there a couple years back and he ended up going to Texas and I think that was a great decision. Clark Lee, I would be surprised if he doesn't take a head coaching job somewhere after this year. I mean, the defense has just been football IQ, awareness has just been tremendous. Um, the only hiccup I think of like in the last couple of years was like Michigan last year. They had a bad defensive outing. Obviously, Clemson put up a lot of points last weekend, but I, I don't think anyone would say the defense played bad. Way. Um, to name a couple guys specifically, like I said, uh, Owusu Koromoa, that dude's going to play in the NFL. Kyle Hamilton's going to play in the NFL. Um, and then we mentioned Clemson at um, – Apple sacks against Irish. Notre Dame didn't have any sacks up until like the last couple plays of the game where they had back-to-back sacks that led into the fourth down. So they showed up when they needed to. Um, Dalen Hayes, he's been there for a while. Uh, everybody's been waiting to kind of step up and break out. I believe he's this is his fifth year as a uh, fifth year senior. He's really stepped up along the defensive line, uh, been a great leader on and off the field. So so in the past, Notre Dame's just kind of been a unit. Now they got some guys going to be in the league. I mean, Awusu Hamilton, some of these guys, and they got a lot of depth, too, um, as far as all, all aspects of Notre Dame's defense. So uh, I'm really impressed with Clark Lee, what he's done in the last couple of years, and um, those guys you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, I happen to agree. I think Drew White is another guy, too, linebacker, who's doing a good job at their defensive line up front. Notre Dame won the turnover battle 3-1 to one against Clemson, and Clemson ended up losing three fumbles. Two of them recovered by Nick McLeod. And Clemson was not very successful on third down either. So it just seems like on both sides of the ball, Notre Dame seemed to dominate. Uh Ogundeji and Fosky were very quiet for the Clemson Tigers. So that was definitely a big thing for me. But John Suggs, uh, one of the Facebook Live viewers has a comment, uh, UNC going to eat Notre Dame up. Uh I disagree with that, but um you know, to each their own. What, what do you think about that, Michael? Because that's that's coming up in a couple of weeks.
0: I would say if um, he's confident. How about, how about he put some money on it then? That's why I always tell people how confident cool you are. Uh, they put money on it. But um, that, that could be those next two uh, weeks. I think Boston College this week. Then I think they have a bye week. And then North Carolina. So two big road tests. So we can't start looking. Forward to the ACC championship game, so I uh, mean, North Carolina almost upset Clemson last year, so we got to keep her eyes on the prize.
2: All right, Kyle. Yep, Mike. My, my next talking point that I want to focus on is now switching gears over to the the Clemson side of the offensive uh, the offensive side for Clemson. So, Cornell Powell in this game, 53-yard touchdown. Um, he had a total of six, yard, uh, six receptions, 161 yards, and a touchdown Amari to Rodgers, eight, uh, eight receptions, 134 uh, 34 yards. But what is your overall level of concern with Notre Dame's secondary as Sean Crawford did get kind of picked on in a sense?
0: Um, I mean, Clemson – Probably has, I mean, with Trevor Lawrence, too, like one of the best offenses, like in college football in recent memory. I mean, Trevor Lawrence and ET might the best combo in college football history. I know, I know, uh, Lawrence didn't play last week, but they have so much talent on the offensive side of the ball. Like I said, Notre Dame did give up a lot of yards, 473 yards, um, to the Clemson offense, but I feel like they were on field a lot in the second half. Um, I think they did a really good job. I don't think anybody will deny it, of what they did against Clemson. Um, they held them to field goals a lot of the time. That they did some of the bend not break. And the, the biggest weakness I was telling you on the offense was the Notre Dame receivers coming in, coming in this year. Then also Notre Dame uh, biggest weakness would be like the cornerbacks, um, the kind of secondary against Clemson, which a lot of teams will um, Clemson's wide receivers. And it's kind of crazy um, going back to this. It's like I feel like Notre Dame's playing the football almost in the eighties. And a lot of these teams like Clemson, Alabama, um, heck Alabama won like 60 to 58 against Ole Miss. Like a lot of these teams are forgetting about the defense. I think Notre Dame has one of the better defenses in the country um, and running game, but they're winning the old-school type of football, um, which would be kind of cool to see them bring that back, what's going on now. Um, I'm not too worried about the Notre Dame defense. I think it's going to be um, a really close game if these guys meet meet again in the ACC championship. And the defense, guys, was able to
1: uh, preserve the lead after that Davis-Allen touchdown. They tied the game. Um, ETN eventually gave Clemson the lead, but Notre Dame got it back in overtime, like you said. Uh, you know, great Great plays because uh, D, DJ for Clemson was dominant. You know, they started OT with the ball. It only took them two plays to score. Then we're sitting there down 40 to 33, and I'm like, oh, no, here we go again, and Notre Dame is going to lose to a top team. And Brian Kelly has always had that thing where he can't win against the best of the best. I, I guess my question, Michael, now is uh, before we move on to Brian Kelly – uh, how was Notre Dame able to stop DJ late and figure him out uh, that last drive in particular? Cause I like that comment. You brought up only two sacks, but they were both on that final drive.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't remember the exact plays, but it seems like Jalen Hayes, I think he was in on there if, uh, one, if not two of those. And the defensive line was just able to get penetration. That first, uh, that first sack really energized the crowd even more. in the sideline. Um, yeah, they were the biggest thing is like you're not going to stop Clemson passing and running game. Notre Dame came into that game. They said that we want to stop ETN, which we mentioned those stats earlier, and they stopped ETN on the ground. They said um, they made Clemson a one-dimensional, had to them, and Clemson almost had enough with that passing game to beat them. So we don't know once Lawrence takes over next time that they face each other, they'll have enough to, uh, to beat Notre Dame. But they made Clemson one-dimensional. Um, DJ played a really great game. Uh, Notre Dame forced some tur- turnovers throughout the game, but. I think uh, Notre Dame did a really good job of scheming against that uh, Clemson offense.
1: I agree, but now the real question is: both of you guys can answer this one. Do you think Notre Dame wins the ACC? Because right now they're top of the board over Clemson.
2: What's the ultimate result here? I think that they do win the ACC. Uh, you know, they have to. I mean, they have some tough opponents. Definitely, there's no doubt. They have to go up against Boston College away. North Carolina, I don't think it's going to be easy. Syracuse, they always play tight and then Wake Forest to end off the season, uh, even though that game was postponed earlier in the season. Uh, but it's it's really just a fight between them and Clemson at this point in time. You know, if Notre Dame does lose a game, because I know that Clemson has already lost the game, obviously, to Notre Dame. I know that Miami is also competing, uh, competing as well. I believe They've only lost one game as well. I think that Notre Dame has a legitimate shot to go undefeated. And I think they will wind up coming away with the ACC.
0: Michael, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to finish the rail season undefeated. They definitely have um, Boston College, and North Carolina aren't going to be any cakewalks by any means. Um, they, they still have one game to lose. They can still spare a game. I mean, they can still lose a game and make the ACC. HM. Um, I think head-to-head matchups is a, is a deal breaker because Clemson. Uh, beat uh, Miami head to head. So I think they could still lose the game and the ACC championship. Um, and then, I mean, I was pessimistic. I, I picked Notre Dame to lose last week by four points just because I wanted them to finally prove that they could win those big games. And I'm just going to keep rolling with it. I think if they play Clemson again, um, Clemson is going to get Trevor Lawrence back. But I think Nord Aim about this. And I think um, as a fan, I'm going to pick them to beat Clemson again in the ACC championship game. And um, to win the, win the whole thing, you know, it's looking ahead. They got to play a a lot of good teams. I mean, you got to play a Clemson, NCC championship. You going right, to play Alabama and Ohio State. So it's not like the old days where you get in the um, the bowl game. You got to win one; you win it all. So it's not like the old old days. You got to play that conference championship game this year. Then play.
1: exactly, I agree. I think they'll win the ACC as well. Their uh, final four games, three of them are on the road, so that's going to be exciting to watch. Um. Uh, it's different because they're in the ACC this year and I feel like there's actually room for error as in previous years where they're an independent. It's like, Oh, you have to win out just to get like a bottom seed in the college football playoff. Cause they typically historically, they don't get a lot of respect because of who they play. But first year in the ACC beating Clemson, that looks really good on their resume that even if they lose to a Boston college or God forbid slip against Wake Forest, the committee will sit there and say, oh, they they beat Clemson. So I think it's hard to keep Notre Dame out of the college football playoff at this point unless they lose multiple games. I think that's what it would have to take. Notre Dame would have to slip twice and not once. But I don't see them slipping in any of these games. And I think part of that is because of Brian Kelly, who I think should win ACC Coach of the Year. What do you guys think? Because obviously right now Kelly and Dabo are probably – two front runners. So I think Kelly has an edge.
2: Yeah, I think Kelly obviously has the edge as, you know, he did beat him in the matchup up against Dabo. Um, Another guy to look out for, Manny Diaz with Miami. Um, I believe this is his first uh, – I could be mistaken. Is this his first year coaching the team? I could be mistaken with that, but I believe it is his first year coaching the uh, team. Second year. Second year. Second year coaching the team. He's developed a guy in the Eric King who looks I fantastic have- right now. Yes. Yeah, so. uh, but anyway, I, I think that Brian Kelly will come away uh, winning coach of the year. What do you think, Michael?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think he'll be the coach of the year. Yeah, I think he'll be the coach of the year as well. Um, like a lot of points, I mean, we could talk about for hours. Notre Dame being independent versus in the ACC. You brought up some good points um, as far as they do in of these games. they probably play Clemson again in the ACC championship game, so they do have some more room for error. And kind of looking around the country, it looks like Ohio State's probably going to be a lock to make the playoffs because no one in the Big Ten can compete with them. Um, the SEC, it's probably going to be Alabama and Florida in the SEC championship game, so if Alabama wins, they'll be like the only team out of the SEC, but if Florida wins, there might be two teams out of the SEC. Um, the Notre Dame, Clemson, um, it kind of depends on the SEC championship game if we get two teams out of the ACC into the college football playoff. So another thing to think about too was a couple of weeks ago, Boston College up Simpson. would be having two losses right now. That would have been crazy. They almost would have been out last weekend. So
1: yeah. Um, and That's before good. we get to Boston College, uh, one more question on the current ranking. Obviously, Notre Dame jumps up to number two in the AP poll, jumping Clemson and Ohio State. Do you guys agree with this? Do you think number two is a fair ranking for taking down number one?
2: I think that's a fair ranking. I think it could definitely get shifted around a little bit, depending on Ohio State, because I know that they still have to play Michigan, even though Michigan has not really been a competition for them. Indiana's been a better team this year, so that'll be – uh, more of a tight game. I know that this week, Ohio, Ohio state and uh Maryland was one of the games that got canceled this week. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was a game that would have been very competitive. So I think actually, in a sense, it might yeah. be very difficult for, unless Notre Dame loses a game for them to move out of that number two spot.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it's fair. I'm, I'm glad they passed up Ohio State, and the voters gave them the number two ranking. Um, as a nerd Dame fan, like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit younger. So I'm, I'm only seen them rank number one one time in 2012. It'd be nice to see them rank number one, but I'm just happy with being number two right now. I mean, as beating Clemson, I'm just I'll take what I can get. Uh, we don't. I don't really. If they're number one, it's an even bigger college in North. Happy with their Irish are at right now, and I'm not going to really complain about it.
1: 2012 seems like it was not that long ago. I remember that year, and that year had me on the edge of my seat more often than not. So, uh, you know, I was happy that they were able to go undefeated. But um, this week they're playing against Boston College. There's a familiar face under center, uh, Phil Jerkovic, the sixth leading passer in the nation and leads the ACC in yards, 15 touchdowns, four picks on the year. Michael, what do you expect from him? Could this potentially be a trap game where familiarity comes into play?
0: Um, I wouldn't necessarily uh, trap, but obviously a game where a lesser team could up at Notre Dame because this is the game that Boston College had circled on their calendar for the whole season. I mean, like Notre Dame was super amp last weekend. That's what Boston College is going to be like this week. Um, like you mentioned, all those statistics with Phil. Um, last year, Notre Dame beat Boston College 40-7, 42-7. Um, they've improved a lot, too. So, you, you know Notre Dame, their biggest rival, Phil, went out there and proved everyone, which is just a natural human instinct to do once he transferred from Notre Dame and de- didn't really get to play. So, it's a big – I'm not sure what term I'm looking for. Big um, Could be a big letdown game. For if if, if uh, Brian Kelly's smart at all – or he is smart, but he'll we'll bring it up to the players and stuff, Mention what has to pass in 93 and just mentioned they need to be focused each one with a solid game, um, that's what travels on the road. So that's what I'm looking for.
1: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more because Notre Dame has one of the longest winning streaks in college football. I believe it's second. It's either first or second, but I'm pretty sure it's second. Um, Boston College, look, they're five and three, sixth in the ACC, yes, but they're no knockover team. Uh, And remember 27 years ago after Notre Dame knocked off number one, Florida state, they lost to Boston college the following week. So that's going to be very interesting. If history could repeat itself 27 years later and Kyle, it's possible because I'm looking at these players, Zay flowers, Hunter long. They're a little scary on offense.
2: Yeah, no doubt they are. And I think it'll definitely be a competitive game. Uh, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying that this could potentially be uh, a trap game in a sense. But again, I, we, we spoke about it earlier. This is no easy give for Notre Dame. And I don't think it's going to be an easy give for them as well.
1: Michael, who do you got to watch for Boston College? I know they have some veterans on defense as well, like Isaiah McDuffie. But is there anyone that sticks out in particular to you? Like, hey, like this guy, you know, we played against them last year. This guy went off.
0: Um. Be honest,ly you know, at the top of my head. Some stats I was looking up during the week, but um the first thing too is like this is Notre Dame. Notre Dame has independent schedule. They usually play like five or six rivals a year. This is kind. Of, I know Pitt's kind of. This is a true rivalry game. The frankly Lehigh Memorial uh, Bowl was on the line, so it's kind of cool. Notre Dame seeing one of those traditional opponents. Uh, as far as specific players, obviously Phil Dracovic, like you mentioned, all those stats. But also, um, the running attack is led by David Bailey, who has. 110 attempts for 429 yards, and this is their leading rusher. He's only getting 3.9 yards per carry. Going up against Notre Dame's defense, who just shut down ETN, that doesn't really look too good. Uh, Receivers, uh, Zay Flowers and Hunter Long, tight end. Flowers has 38 catches for 600 yards and six touchdowns. Those are some really good statistics. Um, Long 43 catches for 501 yards and uh, three touchdowns. So Obviously, there's some really good standout receivers and tight ends for Boston College because Djokovic's putting up all those numbers. So, kind of look at the statistics this week that we want to look out for.
1: Uh, Is there anything else that you'd like to add on the defensive side of the ball or special teams-wise?
0: You mentioned earlier, though, I think Brian Paul did a good job. Like, last weekend, Notre Dame didn't really get to return any kickoffs. Um, Either ETN was back there, Notre Dame was really good on the – the special teams department is keeping him contained on kickoffs. Um, I know oh, late at the very end of the second quarter, we that I, I think back turned that that short kick by Door for a touchdown. I think this long snapper got the tackle. But I mean, Door the last five or six years with Door and you, the Notre Dame kicking department has been really consistent. I think Door was like four, or five, more missed was like a school record attempt to fifty-seven yards. So I mean, the special teams has been doing really good this year. Um, so that's kind of what stuck out to me.
1: Yeah. And I think Dorr had big shoes to fill because I believe he succeeded Justin Yoon. Correct. So, and of course, Justin Yoon, I believe has the record for most points in Notre Dame history. So that was a tough feat to fill in for somebody like that. And looking at it again this weekend, I think for me an under the radar matchup to look out for is Liam Eichenberg and Robert Hansey against Maximilian Roberts, four and a half sacks for uh, Boston college. And then, Max Richardson as well, seventy tackles, three and a half sacks through um, eight games. Kyle, any anything that you'd like to add about this game uh, this weekend and where Notre Dame could potentially be going this year?
2: I mean, I think that they're definitely they're going to be competing in that top four, and I, I don't think that it's gonna it's gonna take them to lose. Like you said, Tom, I think that they they've saved themselves even if they do lose one game. I think they still remain within that top four. I think they have moved down to number four. But I think, granted, they don't lose more than one game. They stay competitive in that top four, and they do wind up making the playoffs. Now, depending upon who they play, can they make it all the way to the championship game? You know, We'll see what's uh, furthermore yet to be seen. But I think that this game uh, this past weekend is a stepping stone in that type of championship mentality. The confidence in which it builds – not only for a head coach, but as a team and as a unit together and what they can potentially accomplish this season.
1: Right. I totally agree. I think they have to just come in and stay in that game-by-game mindset. Uh, Michael, anything, any final thoughts that you'd like to add to uh, our little Notre Dame segment here tonight? Really appreciate you coming on.
0: Yeah, appreciate you guys for having me. I mean, I'm not sure how many hours. I know I went up before my podcast. I do a bunch of you guys have all kinds of points on everything. You guys have been, been great with the questions and stuff. And, um, people don't really understand all the work behind the scenes it takes to do these podcasts. And you guys have done a tremendous job. Thanks for having me on. Um, as far as any parting thought, for the Boston College game, I would say that the Irish have won six straight in the matchup. Like I said, they um, beat Boston College a lot by, uh, by a lot last year. Uh, I don't think it'll be that big of a lot this year. I think Notre Dame will uh, win by uh, a few scores. Uh, Hopefully Notre Dame can stay focused these next couple weeks because Boston College and North Carolina aren't going to be any pushovers on the road. Um, I'm excited for the Notre Dame to play Clemson again in the the ACC championship. And the big thing is, uh, as far as big picture college football playoffs, Pac-12 is not going to get anybody. Big 12 is going to get anybody. Um, The Big Ten is only going to maybe get Ohio State. And in the SEC, it's going to be either Florida or Alabama. So if Alabama beats Florida in the championship game, it's just going to be Alabama and Ohio State. And if Notre Dame can um, finish the regular season undefeated, beat Clemson or lose pretty closely, they might have Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama in the playoffs. I don't think BYU and Cincinnati are going to get in over a one-loss Notre Dame team who beat Clemson. So, I mean, if Alabama wins out, Notre Dame fans should be technically rooting for them just in case um, they were to slip up against Clemson in the ACC championship game so there's really not a whole lot of teams this year I'm, I'm really worried about georgia um kind of fell to the side michigan penn state those big tens really not that good pac-12 isn't playing enough games so i mean this sounds like it's the year for the irish and i'm just glad we're playing football i mean here, three months ago no one thought we we're going to be playing college football and look you got all those fans and excitement against clemson last week all over social media and stuff so it's really good for um just the country for college football to be playing
1: Yeah, I love it, too. I think it's going to be a good year for the Irish and we hope for the best. I think there's only a few games left. So and they seem to be improving week by week. But, uh, Michael, just wanted to thank you again so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate all your great insight and uh, make sure to check out Michael Owens's podcast. Uh, It's called Here Come the Irish. You can follow him on, I believe it's Instagram, Twitter, anything else. Any other platforms?
0: Yeah, Facebook's so I'll, um, I'll repost this on Facebook too once you guys um, put it up on there. Um, one last thing, just uh, once again, you guys have done a terrific job. Um, thanks for having me on. If you guys want me on in the future, hopefully to preview the uh, college football playoffs and the Irish are in it. And uh, also I'll be doing my podcast there on uh, Instagram at uh, 8.30 on Friday night um, if everything goes well. So you can uh, um, tune in there.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Looking forward to it. I'll make sure to
2: check that out. And so thanks, uh, thanks again, guys. Absolutely, no thank you, man. Thanks, Michael.
1: All right, that was Michael Owens, the host of "Here Come the Irish" podcast. Great insight from him tonight. Uh, went at good length, and now you know we move on to some of the other college football uh, matchups. Kyle, tw- top twenty-five games, but a lot of them have been canceled. Yeah, a lot of the- a lot of them have been canceled. I mean. Can you take us through some of these matchups that have been canceled, all due to COVID speculations?
2: I mean, one of the biggest ones to start the year off was Notre Dame versus Wake Forest, but as of you know, recently Alabama versus LSU—that's huge. Even though LSU hasn't been that competitive, uh, competitive of a team this year, that's a huge, huge game that I know I would have loved to watch and look forward to watching. And even an under the radar type of game, Ohio State versus Maryland, which. Is postponed as well. Uh, Maryland, not really a top team, but the way that Tua's brother is playing, because he's now the quarterback for uh, Maryland, the way he has played the last couple of weeks, I was really looking forward to see that quarterback matchup. And now that game is being postponed, and you know, there's talks about whether or not these games are even going to be rescheduled. You know, let alone played at all. So that's definitely disappointing. It's definitely a little nerve-wracking and concerning considering that we're only we're not, we're not in the middle of the season. We're about four or five weeks left before the playoffs do start. So knock on wood, this is the remaining effects of COVID-19 on college football and hopefully the rest of the sports. But hopefully uh, we're able to complete out the season and don't have any big, big matchups uh, taken away anymore.
1: Yeah, I hope so, too, because it's getting down to the wire. That would be a real shame if things continue to get canceled. But we analyzed the top ten. Currently, number one in the country, it is Alabama Crimson Tide. No shocker there. Followed by my Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Followed by the Ohio State Buckeyes. And then rounded out by the Clemson Tigers, who have dropped from one to four. And then Ohio State dropped from two to three. Number five is Texas A&M. Of course, they had their game canceled. Uh, Number six, Florida, who had an impressive win over number five, Georgia, this past weekend. Georgia dropped out of the top 10 to number 12. Florida beat them, manhandled them, 44-28. Kyle Trask had four touchdown passes. He was real good. And then another big game for me. Well, before we get there, let's just tell you who the number 7 team is. That's the Cincinnati Bearcats. The number 8, it's BYU who destroyed Boise State on Saturday, 51 to 17. Kyle, it seems like this year there's been a lot of talk about Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields as those as those top 2 quarterbacks, but right now, the third guy might be Zach Wilson, BYU's quarterback. His stock continues to elevate.
2: Yeah, and I think it'll only continue to elevate as we continuously talk about the rest of uh you know the college season he's proven himself to be a great quarterback they're 8-0 right now the problem is sadly for them is that they just don't play the best of competition their, their remaining games are against north alabama and san diego state so it's going to be very difficult for them to have a chance of making it within that top 4 but they could definitely make a push maybe for a 7th or 6th spot which is still relatively good considering where they were as a team the last couple of years and where they are now. And not solely, but a lot on the fact of Zach Wilson's play and what he's been able to continuously do week in and week out.
1: You bring up some really propelling points there that I think, uh, you know, Zach Wilson could potentially dive into the first Mm -hmm. round this year if a team needs to Oh yeah, no
2: doubt. No doubt. I think he's a first round quarterback, hands down. I don't think that there's any way. And unless he just completely falls, uh, falls apart in these next couple of games or, Potentially as a poor combine, I think with the amount of teams that potentially could be looking into a quarterback with the uh, Washington Football Team, the Jets, obviously the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, question mark with the Giants potentially, and then a bunch of other teams as well. The quarterback need for this year, uh, I think he could definitely wind up going in the first round, no doubt.
1: Yeah, it could it could definitely happen, and I'm excited to see how that'll all unfold come this April, but. Uh, we have to talk about Miami, who is ranked ninth. They moved up two spots after surviving an upset scare from NC State. Bonds is Miami Hurricanes. Uh, remember that series back in the day, the Catholics versus the Convicts, oh, which that's,
2: uh, that's one impressive. for the that's one for the ages. That's a beautiful game. Yeah,
1: um, great great stuff right there. You got to watch that film. I believe it's a documentary. You can probably watch. Oh it. yeah,
2: it is. I think it was. Uh I don't believe it was a thirty for thirty or maybe an e sixty or something like that, but I've watched East it many a time, and it's a uh, it's a it's a great one. It really is.
1: It really puts things into perspective. Lou Holtz against Jimmy Johnson at the time. Uh, that was a great rivalry. And then rounding out the top ten is Indiana, who had a really good win over Michigan, thirty eight to twenty one. That put them in the top ten. Not only did it do that, it knocked Michigan out of the top twenty five. And now people are starting to question Jim Harbaugh if he belongs as the head coach of that team anymore. His resume as a head coach at any level is pretty much in shambles at this point. A lot of people thought he was a really good NFL coach for a long time. And, you know, he probably still was when he left, but on the college level, not so much.
2: Yeah, he had an opportunity to coach his uh, alma mater, obviously. And that's, uh, you know, a job in which he did get paid handsomely. But since he's join the michigan wolverines they've just never been able to win a legitimate game that actually mattered they they haven't beaten ohio state one time i don't believe they've beaten penn state at all they've just haven't been you know they brought him in because that was going to be the guy that was going to be able to get them over the hump and beat those teams and they just never have yeah
1: he's been really jekyll and hyde i'd like to call it um you know, it's been tough to analyze. You look into week 11, some of these matchups. As Michigan, they will be hosting number 13 Wisconsin. That's a tough game that they're definitely not favored in. You have number 10 Indiana at Michigan State. The Big 10 has a lot of good matchups this weekend. Is o- Ohio State and Maryland is still
2: on, correct? No, I, I thought that game was postponed, I thought. Did they scrape that too? I'm going to I'll check right now for you. I'm almost positive that was one of the games that they postponed.
1: Yes, you're correct. It's off due to corona. So yep. that's another that's another one that's a shame. Uh, number nine, Miami at Virginia Tech. And then uh, Arkansas will travel to Florida, the number six ranked team in the nation. And then the biggest thing is Clemson, I think, couldn't have had their bye week at a better time. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, if you look at it last week, though, you would have preferred to have the bye week last week and play Notre Dame this week so that you could have Lawrence for Notre Dame. But now that that's all said and done, this is the perfect time to have your bye week so that Lawrence could heal. Trevor Lawrence will be ready for next week more than likely. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's been crazy. And with that being said, we're going to move on to our next segment, Team of the Week. And with that being said, uh, shocker, we 't don't, we don't need a drum roll for mine my team of the week is the Notre Dame fighting Irish just the upset fashion again I don't even know if you really call it an upset I believe Notre Dame was favored to win this game because yeah, I
2: believe, it, I, I believe without, once once Trevor was once Trevor was out Notre Dame um, flipped the odds and were favored in this game uh as a Notre Dame
1: fan I've been a Notre Dame fan since I was about five six years old. It's kind. Of, it's kind of like a family thing that we have going. Like even yeah. my grandmother is like, "Oh, did you, did you?" She used to call them Notre Dame, Notre, Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, yeah, Notre Dame. But uh, it's just something kind of like you were born into, and you couldn't root for another team. But um, you know, it, it's it's great to finally see them go over the hump a little bit because. My number two team overtime has probably been either Ohio State or Oklahoma for college purposes, but nothing ever compares or comes close to Notre Dame. And to see them do it against the number one first time in 27 years, it really does mean a lot. So that's my team of the week.
2: And my team of the week is the Buffalo Bills. They went from contenders to pretenders and now back to contenders. They got slapped around by Tennessee a few weeks ago. Uh, they couldn't stop the run against Kansas City at home. Almost lost to the Jets, miraculously. And then a Cam Newton fumble uh, late in the game, uh, preventing a potential overtime or a game-winning drive against New England, who has looked porous themselves. And now they play Seattle this past weekend, and they force four turnovers against Russell Wilson, who doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, He had four, I believe it was two fumbles and two interceptions in this game, two of which came in the end zone, which was huge. For a Buffalo defense that has not looked up the stature of what they've been represented as coming into this season or even last season, they kind of fell off a little bit, but this is a huge win for them. And offensively as a team, putting up 44 points, huge, absolutely huge for the confidence of a guy in Josh Allen, throwing for over 400 yards, three touchdowns as well. And what was most impressive about this win, Tom, was that they were able to win this game with absolutely no run game. Their leading rusher and Zach Moss only rushed for 18 yards. That's what came across as so impressive for me in this game.
1: Yeah, I agree. The Bills, the true New York team, football team, they've done yeah. a great job this year. And, you know, a lot of people are picking them to potentially go eight and two this week, a record they haven't seen in ages. But uh at this time, we're gonna bring on our third man here tonight, our other co host, James Montefusco, James. What's Welcome up, boys?
3: Looking good. What's up, hey, buddy? You guys are looking good, too. What's up, boys? So, who is your team of the week? My team of the week is the New hey. Orleans Saints. Who that? Please, uh,
1: please share your team of the week.
3: Who that is my New Orleans Saints? Um, Clearly, they shut Tom Brady, Gronk, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown down. They also shut JPP. Yeah. Uh. Uh, who else is on that defense? Well, Jack Jackson. Barrett. Yep. They shut all those guys down. They shut them like... up. Um, man, that game was fun to watch in the first quarter. And for actually first half. Drew Brees and those New Orleans Saints brought that. Gave them a nice uh, spanking, to say the least. At least. Um, I think Drew Brees <sighs> passed his seven players.
2: Um, yeah, he he had he passed he, uh,
3: like a share the wealth type
2: of game, yeah. Five different offensive players for the Saints score touchdowns, which was a beautiful thing to see. But, uh, I, don't, I don't think I've seen a game, I don't think I've seen a game end that quick since the uh, the 13 Super Bowl where you had, or was it the 14 Super Bowl where you had the uh, the Seahawks versus the Broncos? I think that yeah. might be uh, tied for closest uh. Shortest win perspective that I've ever seen. Uh, I've never seen a game be that dead. And to have Tom Brady. I mean, Tom Brady is the reason why they lost that game, which is insane
3: also, to even he say. Was, he was frustrated for two weeks in a row. The Giants frustrated him and the Saints frustrated him. So it was nice. It was nice, um, but that <laughs> it was is nice my to see team him at discomfort. It was yeah. nice to see him discomfort.
1: Tom Brady loses to a divisional opponent twice in the same season for the first time in his long, illustrious 20-year NFL career at 43 years of age. Um, so we advance to our next segment. We will review NFL Week 9 games. Obviously, Gabe Flayton was the winner of Quick Picks in Week 9 for review and preview, despite, um, despite not getting the Packers-49ers matchup in time. Uh I came in second with James. We we tied, same record, same amount of points, an our week nine loser, none other than Kyle Russo. This guy. On eight and five, had 12 points, and Kyle's punishment, he's been wearing his hair slicked back the whole night as the cap of my pen hits the deck. And now he has his sunshades on. So, uh,
2: in the middle of November. So, you know, this is what the weather we've been having 70 degrees outside. It may be appropriate to be wearing sunglasses now. (laughs) As Hank has you covered there for
1: a second. Tom Brady's never been swept until now. Yes, Hank. But uh, the points are very tight, as you can see. Uh, The records are not far off either. As thank you for popping that back up. Uh, Gabe and I have the same record I'm actually in last in points for the total season right now But, I mean, it's really hard to say that Because we're all within three points of each other So it's going to come down to the wire, as always
2: Absolutely, absolutely This was, uh, come last year This was the part of the season where Blank hit the fan for me And it's it's starting to happen again Hopefully I uh, digress from that past year Kyle loses for the second time this year And Andy
1: Hopper Shout out to the Giants for not only covering, but winning tonight. We'll consult Thomas and Hank every time I think about betting on New York. Thank you very much, Andy. Uh, yeah. Out of Southern Illinois. Uh, he He's, um, you know, he's something special, man. He, he keeps hitting us up for all these lines. And, you know, lately he's been picking the Giants for a lot of them and it's, it's been working. The Giants are improving as a football team. We'll get to the Giants in just a few minutes, but. Uh, Before we get there, I just wanted to toot my own horn saying that I'm the only person to hit every lock through all nine weeks. So, congratulations to myself. Yes,
3: congratulations, Tom. Let me actually thank you for that. I'll pull that up Um, so everybody can see this. Look at all that green. Yeah, right? A lot
1: of
2: green on this. A lot of green. We did better than last week. Nope, nobody missed anything. If
1: you look at it, yeah, no, just maybe one or two games. Uh, if Andy look. Hopper says the doctors definitely say I'm something special. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Andy Hopper, raw and uncut. Love it. Uh,
3: James, you were saying we honestly, I, I was talking to Russo earlier about this. If a few of us just picked the right game, there could have been at least two of us that could have had a, at least a Pretty, a hundred percent weak.
2: Yeah, Gabe didn't miss the um, the easy um, Green Bay game, and then I don't know why he picked the Bears. I don't know why. Sorry, Andy, but I don't know why he went with them. Um, speaking of the Bears, let's uh,
1: well, actually, no, we have a comment from the uh, the Peanut Gallery here. Confirmed, <laughs> Kyle can definitely pull off a Danny Zuko look.
2: Appreciate it, Hank.
1: I appreciate it. So, thank thank you for the comments, Hank. Keep the comments coming, folks. We love interacting with you. Yeah, Green Bay took care of San Francisco. That was easy. They won that game. Uh, They've dominated the 49ers' mini rivalry, I guess they've had, since 1996. They did play in the NFC Championship game last year. So, uh, good job for Green Bay getting their revenge. But, a receiver and Richie James bursted onto the scene, nine catches, 184 yards. It was not enough. Uh Thursday night football was all Green Bay. God bless you, James. Thank you. Uh, but this next game I want to discuss, and it was a game that half of us picked incorrectly. Kyle actually got this one, right? The Atlanta Falcons. They did not blow a lead uh in this one. Atlanta yeah. was able to hang on against Denver 34 27 and they're now 3-1 since firing Dan Quinn.
2: Listen, a couple years too, uh, too late for them. That's been the storyline with this team the last couple of years. But it's insane when you look at them because they lost about three, four games that are literally on the last drive. They should have beat Detroit. They should have beat Dallas. This could be a team that could be in competition to win the division against the Saints in Tampa, but they played themselves out of it.
1: Andy Hopper with another comment. I'm terrified of Cook and the Vikings on Monday. Gabe Flayton and I will be doing a live post-game reaction. This could get ugly. Whoa. So groundbreaking news. Check out the group party on Monday following Monday night football. I'd imagine that would be around 1130 Eastern, 1030 Central. Andy, if you can confirm the time with us, that would be awesome. Just so we know, we'll tune in and we'll – share the show and help you promote. But, um, yeah, you know, this this week was weird. Uh, Minnesota, who did they play? They played Detroit. We all picked them against Detroit. They own Detroit. Uh, Dalvin Cook, 206 rushing yards. Uh, the, I get it. The Lions didn't have Kenny Galladay. Stafford was on COVID list during the week. He played. He wasn't great. But is Dalvin Cook – an MVP candidate because I was looking at stats, comparing him the stats he had, like, you know, against guys like AP and Cook could potentially be a front runner for this thing. He could potentially be a top three front runner with guys like Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. What do we all think?
2: I mean, it definitely has some potential. I mean, Adrian Peterson winning it a former Viking as well back in twenty twelve took it away from Peyton Manning when he was having a historic season. Uh, there's definitely some question. I think the recent most recent polls has Dalvin Cook at like a 6th or an 8th spot right now in terms of MVP candidacy but he if he keeps on playing the way he's playing which i expect him to fully i mean this could it could get really tight i mean Russell Wilson even though he's the favorite right now he's played poor the last couple games Patrick Mahomes is just Patrick Mahomes nobody's going to stop him you got to deal with it but Dalvin Cook could definitely get into that top 3 top 5 consideration over the next couple of weeks no doubt
3: the, just part of,
1: uh, go ahead,
2: James.
3: Uh, just a quick piggy piggyback. The only thing I see with Dalvin Cook, is he is he did come off, um, came off an injury. They abused him. They used him a lot now, in the first game back. They did pretty much similar to their to the second game. The only thing I'm concerned about, Gabe, could probably back me up on this. Is are they going to overuse him? Where come week 14, 15, 16 – He's going to get hurt again.
1: No, because they have Alexander Madison who can fill spell him on on drives sometimes, and I think uh, Minnesota's offense isn't an offense that's meant to exhaust Cook. I mean, they do go into the play action a lot of times. With they they have weapons, they have Thielen, Jefferson, uh, BC Johnson, Kyle Rudolph. They have guys that are capable of making plays. But that's just my opinion. I mean, you'd mm-hmm. have to ask Gabe that, but. Uh, I just want to pin this comment again from Andy. Yes, sir. Pre-game with Caitlin Leonard of the Bear Down Girl podcast at 6 p.m. Central, so 7 p.m. Eastern time, folks, on the Brew Party Facebook Live page and then post-game with Gabe at 10.30 Central. So basically whenever the game ends, we're going live. So shout-out to Andy, Gabe, and Caitlin for putting that together next week. Uh, really looking forward to watching that. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, but let's go over some of the other games. Seattle and Buffalo. Where's that? Gabe fooled us all, picking the Bills, uh, who are seven and two for the first time since '93. Russell Wilson had four turnovers in this game, really hurting his MVP status. Yeah, uh, or chances, I should say. Josh Allen, four hundred fifteen passing yards and three touchdowns, and Guys, I'm going to say one thing. Seattle's defense is
2: bad. Like, they're yeah, it's, it's, yeah. bad. Yeah. I mean, they're even not- even as bad as Russell Wilson did play, he still put up 34 points. If, if the defense was even halfway decent, I mean, or somewhat decent, I mean, they could have won that game easily. Also, folks, if you're watching, I just want to tell you, uh, stay tuned for
1: part two of Kyle Russo's punishment coming up at 830. It's going to be really good. I got a two-parter? Uh, Yeah, we have a two-part punishment. You don't have to do anything. Just sit tight, watch, and listen. That's all you have to do. Can't Um, wait. Anyway, Baltimore, (laughs) Indianapolis. Uh, The Ravens score 20-plus points in 31 straight games. That is a new record. Um, I'm still not sold on the Ravens. I think they're – and I'm sorry, funds. I know they'll probably uh, knock us – on our backs in week 16 as Giants fans, but they are not good against like playoff teams. I mean, even against the Colts, there was some doubt for a while. I mean, I don't know where you guys stand with the Ravens, but I'm definitely not sold on them. I could probably name three
2: to four teams in the AFC this year that are better than them. Yeah, there was, um, it was definitely concerning from an offensive standpoint, just from Lamar Jackson, but that's been the storyline with him since he's entered the league, not just performing in big games, but just a matter of him being a passer. He's just not, he's just not a good passer. I think he has a 63, 62 completion percentage this year. He's just not a good passer until he develops that part of his game. It's going to be very difficult to favor him in a lot of these matchups where they have quarterbacks that have, you know, are good quarterbacks like a Patrick Mahomes, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, you know, even a Ryan Tannehill who's been fantastic this year at the quarterback position. It's going to be very, very tough for him until he improves upon his passing game. Whoa, look at that. Hey, wow. I mean, look, at it. in terms of accuracy, he's not wrong. As a passer, Kyler Murray is better. He is better. I think Lamar is more elusive, but as a true quarterback, as a passer, Kyler Murray takes the cake. Now, is Kyler Murray going to win the MVP this year like Lamar Jackson did in his second year? Probably not. But Kyler Murray is a better passer right now.
1: I don't disagree with you. I, I just think, wow, like that's that's. That's a you know, statement. Listen, I can't, is, I, can't, I can't. I can't. I'm not saying I disagree with that statement, but that is a statement.
2: That, <laughs> yeah. If I'm being quite honest with you, I couldn't see that too well, so I thought it said <laughs> Kyle over Lamar, and I'm like, thank you, Hake. And then I, I, I looked in a little close. I'm like, oh, Kyler. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, prescription sunglasses. No, these I, aren't. I, these popular aren't
1: popular. Forward. Uh, <laughs> Andy. Okay. So moving on to Houston and Jacksonville, JJ Watt records his 100th career sack. Houston wins by two. They've won six straight against the Jags quarterback, Jake Luton for Jacksonville, making his first NFL start throwing over 300 yards. Not too bad, but they do sure miss Minshew. I think if Minshew plays this game, we could possibly be seeing a different outcome. So that was kind of a game that I didn't care too much about, but it is a divisional game. Carolina, at Kansas City, boy, this was good. This had Paul Lombardi real nervous because I I met up with him. Actually, Sunday night, me, Hank, Paul, Dom, and our other friend Kevin met up after uh, the Chiefs game was over, and Paul was like, damn, the Panthers are good. They're good when they have McCaffrey. The problem is McCaffrey hasn't been healthy, but – uh, Chiefs win 33-31. They are now 17-1, quietly 17-1 in their last 18 games. McCaffrey returns for the first time since week two, scored two touchdowns. Unfortunately, he got hurt again. Mahomes had four touchdowns. Kelsey, uh, over 150 receiving yards. Tyree killed nine catches for 113 yards and two scores, and it all came down to Panthers kicker Joey Sly. Who missed the potential game-winning sixty-seven-yard field goal in the final seconds? Guys, give Pan- the Panthers all the credit in the world doing this on the
2: road with fans yep. taking the Chiefs down to the very last moment.
0: Matt Rule
2: is an excellent coach. Like he, he is he has gotten that label from me already. They've been competitive in almost every single game that they've played this year, and I think that without a doubt, if Christian McCaffrey doesn't get hurt this year, that's another team within the NFC South, in which we're talking about, especially with uh, an extended playoff race with an additional wild card. They've just been unbelievably coached. Robbie Anderson has been fantastic. Sorry, Jets fans, but he's been amazing. DJ Moore has been great. They've really evolved that team and kind of adapted to the fact that if we're not going to have Christian McCaffrey, even a guy in Mike Davis, he's been an unbelievable fill-in, the next best thing, as a pass catcher out of the backfield and a rusher.
1: So the next game, we already talked about Detroit and Minnesota, but Chicago and Tennessee, Andy, uh, if you're watching, feel free to comment. Chicago and Tennessee, uh, Tennessee wins 24-17. A.J. Brown now with a touchdown in five straight games, and uh, Chicago is crashing, like, back to reality hard. They're not going to make the playoffs. You can kiss that goodbye. In fact, they may lose second place in the division, on Monday night football. Well, no, they'll still be in second because they're five and four. Minnesota's three and five. So they wouldn't lose second just yet, but they're on the way to it. Minnesota, as Gabe Flayton has mentioned, has a really good part of their schedule coming up. And Chicago, I remember I was watching one of Andy's shows earlier this year, and there it is, why Chicago needed to get off to a good start, because the middle of the season, three quarters of the way through the season, the schedule gets brutal and We don't need to talk about it, but it is okay because we we will. Um, Hank, the question, Um, if Carolina beats Tampa Bay, do they make the playoffs? Uh, No. No. Because – It's just too tough in the NFC. They won't beat Tampa without McCaffrey. Brady won't lose two in a row. The man just doesn't. Um, Am I counting out Carolina on Sunday? No. That would be foolish of me to do that. But, uh, again, drops another bomb. Do they have a legit shot at the playoffs? Uh, okay. Thank you for rewarding that, Hank. Um, do they have a legit shot at the playoffs? Well, of course. There's, there's seven teams this year, but with the way the NFC is shaking out right now, no.
2: Yeah. No, no. They don't. I think you see the entire NFC West make it themselves, and that's, that's four teams potentially. And then you could see – one from the remaining divisions and that's the other three teams to make the seven. So I just don't see any way in which, you know, potentially they make it in.
1: So Las Vegas and LA Raiders chargers that came down to the last play. Uh, our chargers friend, Kevin who was out with us in Stanford, Connecticut Sunday night, um, had the game on his phone because they had the Steelers-Cowboys game on at the TV. So due to, like, our um, like our, our range of where we were located, we couldn't get the Chargers game on the TV. So uh, the Raiders won. Controversial last play of the game. Chargers have now lost nine straight games against the AFC West. But Justin Herbert's playing really well. It's a shame. He only has one win to show for it. Yeah, yep. uh, it does. Yeah, it was definitely rough to see but I mean, you could be the jets right now, you know? So if I'm the chargers, I'm not complaining about two and six.
3: Well, I got, I got a question for you guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is the Raiders a legit team? I think the Raiders are that middle of the pack team that
2: we've seen compete with competition that is on their same Mm -hmm. level. But in terms of playing competition, that's better than them. They just don't seem to have that. They played Tampa. They got smacked around. They bid they did beat the Chiefs at Arrow. Yeah, exactly. People forget about that, which is huge. But then they keep games like this just way too close for comfort. Like this is a Chargers team that has struggled all year. And then again, a, not a controversial call, but a, a little bit of a bobble by Darnell Fam in the end zone. And you're sitting there with a loss at the end of the day to a Chargers team whose previous wins were to the Cincinnati Bengals come week one, which was Joe Burrow's first NFL start off a missed field goal in yep. one other game. So that's nothing to toot your horn about either. Right. I think they could go 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven mm-hmm. this year. I think that's where they stand as far as I'm concerned. Maybe a playoff team. Maybe that seventeen that does get in in an extended playoffs, considering they're in the mm-hmm. AFC. I could definitely mm-hmm. see that happening. But uh, we'll see. That, that's where I stand on them.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think the Raiders – honestly – I'm going to come out and say it. The Raiders will make the playoffs. Yeah. They they will they'll probably get the 7th seed. Yeah. Uh with the way things are looking right now cuz you'll get Pittsburgh and Baltimore out of the AFC North. I don't think Cle- I don't think Cleveland's going to make it. No, it's going to uh, be too they, hard now. I think it's going to be too hard for them to make it just looking at their schedule. I don't like uh their their schedule to be honest with you. I mean, I think they'll win this weekend. Uh, I believe they're playing the, the Texans, but uh, possibly without David Johnson, who's battling a concussion. So – but the schedule gets hard for them. You look at a team like Miami, you have to consider now they beat the Cardinals on the road this past weekend, 34-31, uh, won four straight games for the first time since 2016. Again, James, congratulations for getting this correct. I don't know how Does you do it.
2: it. Does it every week? Yep. When, when, every when, week. Every week.
3: Take me through your brain and <laughs> what take me what through. were you thinking when you picked this game? It's like, so my brain is very interesting. Okay, no, no, all right, so it's, I, to, it's, to like, it's like going to, to Disneyland to, to, to take you through this game. Is I look at it this way you got Tua and you got Kyler Murray, right? Yeah, so you got two young quarterbacks, two very mobile quarterbacks. Quarterbacks yes. can move around without a problem. I knew it was going to be a very close game. Um, Miami was at Arizona, so I really didn't take any of that in consideration. Only because there's really no fans much anywhere right now, so I'm like, I, I don't even put that factor in. Um,
2: I, think this game, I think this game was at the Hard Rock, right? If I'm mistaken, and Miami does have
3: fans, I could be wrong. But Miami at close, It was at Arizona. Arizona. It was at Arizona. My bad. Yeah. So no matter what, I just put that. Even if they have fans, it's not capacity. Whatever. And then I look at, I really look at how I pick throughout the week. Um, and then I always, my mind always tells me throwing a curveball, throwing something where all the other guys will get, will pick like the Arizona Miami game. We'll all pick Arizona, and I'm like, you know what? There always has to be somebody that's the oddball. And I'm like, you know what? I'll be that oddball. Yeah. So I wanted Miami.
1: Well. Two is 2-0 two oh as a starter in this league, man. Uh, oh. He was good. Two touchdowns. Kyler Murray had four, three of them through the air, one on the ground. But uh, this Dolphins team is impressive. I think a lot of people are comparing uh, the Giants. Well, so a lot of people are expecting Joe Judge and the Giants rebuild to be something similar to Miami with how all of a sudden we're sitting there. Miami's 5-3. and three. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, you shouldn't be this good so soon. But remember that the AFC East is not good this year. You have the winless Jets, and then you have New England, who's not the same team. So I believe Miami still has to play both of them again. So I'm not even so certain if they've played New England yet. I think they did in week one and then lost. But anyway, besides the point, uh, they're a good team. They could vie for a wild card spot. Do they get in? I don't think so but you never know there's a lot of uh moving parts because right now I think the Colts and the Ravens have two of the wild card spots locked and and then the other will probably go to the Raiders I don't think the Dolphins and the Browns are good enough yet to hold on uh with such young head coaches I think John Gruden's a guy that's been there done that and you know Hank and Andrew just brought it up Darren Waller is a beast he's a big part of their offense and Josh Jacobs as well uh, he is legit for Las Vegas and their O-line is decent.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then another team in the AFC we haven't talked about yet is Pittsburgh. 8-0 for the first time ever. The Cowboys led by 10. And again, my friend Dom, who we were out, we were we were out with on Sunday, is a Steelers fan. So he's sitting there. He's like, you know, Pittsburgh always plays down. And of course they're playing Garrett Gilbert, who nobody knows about. Uh, but then Pittsburgh had the 15 shut shutout in the fourth quarter. Uh, thoughts on this game and Garrett
2: Gilbert?
3: Best game of the week. They, it really was,
2: to, to be that, quite honest with you, it really was. That you should know, maybe have been with the Sunday night
3: game. With, with the
2: exception of the, um, the Arizona-Miami game, this was such an intriguing game from start to finish. I mean, analysts, everybody, we, I mean – this was my lock for this week, and I almost lost that. And that that would have that would have killed me. That would have <laughs> emotionally killed me if the Steelers lost the Gal- Garrett Gilbert, who's been in the league for nine years, I believe now, and only just got his first NFL start. It's just unbelievable the the game in which they had, and it came down to the wire too. I believe he threw a game. The game clinching play was when Minka Fitzpatrick, I believe, intercepted the ball in the end zone, and uh, the Cowboys turned it over. I mean, it came down to the wire. They kept it close throughout the entirety of the game. But definitely yeah. something to build upon if you're a Cowboys fan and player.
3: Um, it might be something for Pittsburgh fans to watch only because the Cowboys, is, is banged up in many positions throughout their offense and defense. Yeah, right? You really weren't able to stomp all over them. Like probably a lot of us was expecting an eight, 7 zero, eight and 0 team to go in right. and sp- stomp over, a, what is it, a sixth-throwing quarterback, whatever it comes out to be now? Pretty much. Um, I also, you also have to now look at two, because I think earlier in the week, uh, Roethlisberger was put on the COVID IR list. Yeah. So, that's going to hurt your chances down at least this week.
2: Yeah, potentially. I know they play the Bengals, which shouldn't be too tough of a matchup, but... I expect him to play. Usually they uh, the players that keep yeah. on that list are only like four or five days on there, yeah. so they should be fine.
1: Let's, uh, move on to Tampa and New Orleans. The Saints won 38-3. Brady throws three picks in a game for the first time since 2011. We're not going to talk about this for too long because we covered it earlier, but uh, Breeze now leads in touchdown passes and all-time passing yards as well over Brady, creating a little bit of distance. But uh, my biggest thing is – Antonio Brown made his debut. He was he was pretty good. Three catches, 31 yards. But the Bucs only ran the ball four times the entire game. Uh, that's not including the two Blake Gabbard kneel downs at the end. That would total six. But four running plays, what happened? I think they just got down way too much, way too quick.
3: They got, to, they got down. And also they, they're now, right now in my mind, is a pass-heavy offense. Look, yeah. how you, look who you got as wide receiver and tight end.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the reality of the situation. But the reason why they didn't run the ball is because you're not going to overcome a 28 to 0 lead with running the football. It just it's just right. not going to happen.
1: 100. Yeah. percent It takes you out of your game, and that's what Tampa Bay likes to do: establish a run. Uh, you know, give Brady time in the pocket to deliver the football, and New Orleans wins. Shocks a lot of people this week. Improves the six and two. Their defense was fantastic, and. If you're looking for a fantasy defense this week, you might want to pick them up. I did it. You should too. I did it. So, yeah, uh, you did it in our league, and I did it in my league with James. So, but anyway, let's move on to the Giants. So, this is the fun part, folks. Stay tuned because we are about to reveal the second part of Kyle Russo's punishment in moments. Oh uh, the Giants beat the Forskins 23 to 20. They sweep Washington this year, winning both matchups. Daniel Jones now 4-0 against Washington, <laughs> despite being 1-16 against the rest of the league. But there were some doubts, as James, if you could just remove the, uh, the screen share there. Got you. There were some doubts heading into this game about the New York football Giants, and uh, here's a look.
2: I don't see the Giants beating this team again. I think Ron Rivera, second time around, gets the W for the Washington football team. Not a high-scoring game. I, I could see a, let's say a 24-14 type of game in Washington's favor. <laughs> Can you explain
1: that to us, please?
2: <laughs> I should have known second time around that this is the only team that Daniel Jones is capable of beating, so why not pick them and roll with them? But let me tell you something as as we get into deeper with this game. Actually, no, let me throw it back to you, and then we'll get into it. But can I explain myself there? No, I can't. Uh, the Washington uh, football team just makes it possible. That's what they do. Turning the football over five times, they just make it possible. Did you like my creativity at least? I did. I got a little bit confused. I'm like, what? I- I'm not talking right now. I hear my voice. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you cut it from the audio last week. Yeah, I appreciate it the dedication and hard work into, into too, making right? me look like a fool but it's it's all good it's all good it's all uh it's all fun but uh can I explain myself I should have known better like you said uh 4-0 against the Washington football team 1 and 16 against everybody else
1: both of Kyle Russo's punishments have been Washington football team related in fact it took until Sunday morning not even morning, afternoon at twelve fifteen p.m. for me to convince you to pick the
2: Giants. And it was, it was all off of a week. Week. It was a bad week for picking upsets. There wasn't many uh, – well, it turned out to be there was a lot of upsets, but it didn't look like that come the uh, middle of the week that it was going to happen as much. You know, Tampa getting yeah. beat up, Chargers losing, Arizona losing, Seattle losing. Turned out to be a pretty good week for the upset. So – Let's
1: talk about this game. The Giants' defense, as you mentioned, guys, uh, always, well, they won the turnover battle 5 nothing, and more importantly, Daniel Jones did not turn the ball over for the first time this season. Yay. And Daniel Jones, fun fact, had the third-best passing grade in the entire NFL with a clean pocket this week and only had one incompletion in the entire second half. That was a drop by Evan Ingram. Of course. Uh, thoughts on Daniel Jones?
3: Uh, playing Washington? I mean, there you uh, go, like, like uh, uh, me and Russo watched this comedian where he's like, does every team in the NFL have to dress up in Washington uniforms for us to get a win and Daniel Jones to play well? I think it um, does. I think that it was something good to see. I would like to see them do it this week and weeks prior. Um, yeah. I know we did talk about it was going to probably take around this, this long to see the offensive line gel because they're all new to, each, with each other. Uh, we all, we thought we had a Bart. We, we thought we had Barkley in there for the whole season. We don't. So I think that took a little while. Goldman seems like he's our, uh, he's our number one, which he's been looking pretty good. Um, so I, it, if that pocket stays as clean as it did on Sunday, um, we're heading in the right direction. If it's not, it's because we played the Washington football team. There you go. Well said. Well said.
2: I mean listen, this is the Washington football team. There's no accomplishment here. James, you remember my analogy before uh before we got on. The yep. Giants are like the Giants are like when you're in kindergarten and you have a class of twenty and the, it's a race, and your and the first fifteen kids to complete the race get trophies, and and the giants are that bottom five at the end of it that just barely competed. You know, the one kid stops over because he hears the ice cream truck. That's the giants. That's the, they get the participation uh, ribbon at the end of it. This is this is the Washington football team. The fact that this game was even competitive, and the fact that it took five mess ups by the Washington football team. And they still almost lost the game because, in the end of the day, at the end of the day, after the fourth turnover, they gave the ball right back to the Washington football team to drive down the field, and then Logan Ryan gets the game sealing uh, pick. This team, the defense, listen—the defense is a playoff defense. There is no doubt what Patrick Graham has assembled. The coaching by Joe Judge is incredible in his first year with a turnaround from what James Betcher did the past couple seasons to now is incredible with just a few acquisitions, obviously major ones, but a few acquisitions, headline of Kyla Kyle Fackrell, uh, Blake Martinez, and James Bradbury, who didn't necessarily have a great game either. But this offense, this offense is terrible. I was, it, I was talking about it earlier with you, Tom, prior. The last couple games, in fact, the majority of the season, the defense is getting us in the red zone more than the offense is. The defense, well, we watch against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Blake Martinez forced fumble against Ronald Jones within the 10-yard line led to the Giants getting a touchdown. A muff punt this week by the Washington football team within the 10-yard line leads to a, uh, a New York Giants' Wayne Goldman touchdown. Earlier in the season, um, oh, it was Kyla Fackrell returning an interception within Dallas's 20-yard line back for a touchdown. Philadelphia turning it over on downs. I mean, the, Gi- the Giants' offense is not capable of scoring. The defense is what's keeping them in games. And the fact that it took five mess-ups, five turnovers by the Washington football team in order for the Giants to barely win the football game, I think right. that's, the bigger, that's the bigger picture here. We know the defense doesn't have many flaws. The offense, yes, we're celebrating Daniel Jones having a clean game. Even though you want to call it a clean game, he dropped the ball two times. He got, dropped the ball out of bounds uh, on the run. He got hit. And then he dropped the ball, but then recovered it. And then I don't know how, but Andrew <laughs> Thomas completely missed the coverage, and Daniel Jones got hit in the blind side, and somehow he kept on. That's that's the accomplishment right. there because that's usually that's usually a fumble recovery for a touchdown by the defense. Yeah, but this is I, I don't know I don't know what you want to call it a game to build on or something, but in your career when you're four and zero against this team and you know your one other win is against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers who. Had an awful quarterback situation. A quarterback running a thirty for thirty, and not the good time, good kind that you see on SportsCenter. But a thirty touchdown, thirty interception season, and then the field goal kicker misses a game winning field goal. It's not. It's not a good outlook. I don't know really what you say to to build on as an offense as a whole, as a quarterback, as a line. Yes, James, they did improve as an offense. I just, I just don't see it. I yeah. don't see it.
1: Let's 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 move on a little bit. Ingram scores his first touchdown of the season. Uh, Golden Tate was benched, did not travel. Uh, look, if we talk about the offense. At the end of the day, a win is a win, regardless of how you get it. What happens in the game? Uh, you know, guys, we're 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 sitting here worrying about potential teams that they're playing next year at one o'clock in the morning. That's how you know we're Giants fans because you're always thinking like three steps ahead and you're giving yourself a headache over nothing.
2: Well, I want Just, to know. Do I got to do Am I going to look forward time. to next year more? And the answer is no.
1: And that's but, why I told you. Question. Um, if we beat Philadelphia this week, will you actually be able to celebrate a win, Kyle Russo?
3: I think if they
2: regain some starters back on Philadelphia's side of the ball, because, again, they were missing 11 starters when we played them in the first place, yeah. If they get some of those starters back, which I believe they are, I don't think Zach Ertz is playing, but Miles Sanders should be in the o- offensive line should be a little League. bit better. But if they do, yeah, there's something to celebrate. There's always something to celebrate within a win, but beating the Washington football team is nothing to pat your back on. I mean, well, that's the, you want to say a win is a win, but that's like – that's right there. That's, that's right above a win is a win, and it's the Washington football team.
3: Well, one bright spot I did see – Uh, Mac, the wide receiver, he looked very good. That's a bright spot. There's no doubt that's a bright spot. That that was my bright spot of the game.
1: Yeah, he had a 50-yard catch on that drive. Uh, That was good. And he
3: had almost four
1: yards of separation on his receptions. And we we look at the offensive line. I know they use a little bit of a rotation to tackle with Matt Pert. But him and Fleming each allowed zero pressures. Nick Gates, Andrew Thomas, only one each in pass blocking. And it was a really good performance by the offensive line. And, you know, you mentioned the defense earlier. Um, As Hank says, how do you on earth not celebrate a win over filthy? And I believe
2: that was not a typo. I think he meant to
1: say it that way.
2: Hank, you. Definitely do, but you're not gonna you're not gonna argue that it's a game to build upon when they miss their entire offensive starters. You're not gonna you can't say that. I'm if, not gonna look. I, I'm not gonna. You want a game. You want a game to build upon as confidence. I'm not. I don't think even though it's great to get a win in the win column. If I'm a player, if I'm a fan, beating the Washington football team does not make me confident about the next week's opponent. Right? It it just doesn't do that for me personally.
1: Well, they're also improving this season. We saw what Scary Terry did to us. He made the game pretty scary at the end with that 68-yard touchdown. Uh, Cam Sims, who had three catches for 110 yards, not to mention he had that touchdown against the Giants late in the Week 6 game that we played against them. So it's not like we can just sit here and say, oh, you know, this team is a knockaway team. They're not. They've fought us tooth and nail till the very last second. But – of course, they lost their quarterback Kyle Allen, who was out for the year with a dislocated ankle, had a small fracture. Did not look appetizing on TV. Uh hopefully you were not eating your lunch during
2: that
0: play.
1: That uh, area after- of
2: their football field is is notorious for leg injuries, the Joe Theisman injury. I think I read a stat that within four or five yards of where they are, the Joe Thisman injury, the Alex Smith injury, and now the Kyle Allen injury, it's just uh it's a, it's a burial ground for quarterbacks and their legs. Yeah.
1: Alex Smith, two years ago, who actually came in relief of Kyle Allen, ironically enough, had three interceptions in relief, one to Blake Martinez, one to Jabril Peppers, and one to Logan Ryan. Uh, This was great to see on the defense. We talk about an elite level of competition as Hank says, I mean, don't get me wrong, I get it, and I'll agree to disagree. But with that having said, as LPG tweeted, Giants wins these days are few and far between.
2: Because we only play the Washington football team two times a year, Hank. That's why. Well, that's, that's not <laughs> in-
3: <laughs> I can't take you seriously with the sunglasses and the, and the jacket on sometimes. They <laughs> beat the Dolphins last
1: year. Remember
2: that. That was our fourth win where Ryan Fitzpatrick was the leading rusher.
1: And where e- Eli Manning came and balled out, remember? Against the Miami Dolphins.
2: Yeah, against
1: against a good team that was improving at the end of the season. They had a good defense led by Flo, and it's transitioned into this year. Their yeah. defense is really good. I know they added pieces in free agency in the draft, but, I mean, come on. you got to give Eli – all right, well, we're not going to get into an Eli Manning debate with 15 minutes left in the show. <laughs> but a- anyway – uh, <laughs> save that for next time, you know. Maybe
3: it'll
1: be a- special teams was great too. Graham Gano won NFC special teams player of the week. The special teams actually forced a fumble, it wasn't all just the defense, the special teams did force one as well. Uh, Cam Brown utilized in a Canadian style formation as the third gunner on a punt by Riley Dixon, forcing the fumble, setting up the offense in great field position. We give the defense a lot of credit. But we don't give the special teams enough credit, guys. How no. good is this special teams? In my opinion, it is easily top 10 in this league. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah, Absolutely. Between Riley Dixon, the punter, and then the whole special teams crew, they've been fantastic. There's no doubt about it. In terms of fielding position for opponents, I mean, the Giants have done an excellent job of that. And Joe Judge has brought that mentality and that coaching format over from New England to the Giants very, very smoothly. Very impressive.
1: So, James, I want to get to you here. We look ahead. Week 10, Philadelphia. This was a team we have not beaten since we were both in college. So it's been a while. 2016, uh, the 3-4-1 and one Philadelphia Eagles. That tie just bothers me. It's annoying. Uh, look, we've lost eight straight to them. Philadelphia is a healthier team now. Uh, the Giants still don't have pieces on defense. We just waived Corey Ballantyne yesterday. He was claimed by the Jets, so he didn't move very far. Tate Crowder, O'Shane Zimenez, and Xavier McKinney are, are still out. What are your expectations for this game? And make a prediction if you want.
3: Um, I expect it to be pretty much what we saw in the, in the first game. We played scrappy, tight, and frustrating at times for us Giant fans. And probably <laughs> well for, for you Eagle fans out there that's listening, um, as well, only because this division is just so bad that it's hard sometimes to figure out. But I am going to go with the Giants. I, I think I put them on my quick picks. I don't even remember at this point. But I'm going to go with the Giants 24 um, 21. Another close game like we've seen in the last few weeks. Um, the Eagles did get healthy, but I think the Giants will build off of this. At least I hope. Um, especially the offense will build off. I I expect. I expect, and you guys should expect Mac to be a bigger part in this offense this week. Even though they did say Golden Tate is traveling with the team or is going to be starting with the team, I still don't have full confidence in how much snaps he snaps he'll get. Right. That's my pick.
2: Kyle Russo, you were next. Make that nine straight. Uh, Should I even ask you? Yeah. Make that nine straight. Uh, Philadelphia would start his back. Boston Scott did a great job the first time around, but I think that Miles Sanders has got it under control. He's going to have an offensive line now of Carson Wentz. I'm going to see this. I think he's going to put up a 30-piece. I think he's going to put up a 30-piece, and I see the Giants scoring around 17 points in this game. See what happens. You just gave the defense all the credit in the world, said Patrick Graham, this this is a playoff defense, and you're gonna give up 30 points to the Philadelphia Eagles. Because the one thing, the defense has been great, but the offense has been so bad that they can't stay on the field, and the defense has always gotten gassed late in games, and that's why the Giants haven't been able to close out. That's that's the reality of the situation. Am I so, am I wrong when I say that? You haven't been proven wrong yet. No, I'm saying, does the defense not get gas late in games because the offense can't stay out on the field? Oh, 100%. 100% well, that's the reality. They, they
1: do. But I'm going to go with the Giants. I have them winning 26-23, if you remember um, correctly. The Giants only lost by one point in their yeah. week seven matchup in Philadelphia. Uh, I personally think that the Giants are going to have a much better game offensively. Remember, the Eagles have the fifth best defense in the National Football League. They are not – a turnaround defense at all. And Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, they have a good nose, Derek Barnett on that defensive line. If Nate Jerry is healthy, he's a good linebacker for them. Alex Singleton as well. And then Darius Slay in that secondary takes Darius Slayton out of the offense. So James is right. It could open up, you know, a cushion for a player like Austin Mack. So it's going to come down to how many mistakes the Giants make compared to the Eagles because last time the giant, look, the giants led 21 to 10 late in the game. And they blew the lead because the offense couldn't stay on the field long enough. But now if they get Devontae Freeman back, the offensive line is a few weeks more mature, which means there's a, they're a little bit better than they were in week seven. Yeah. And I just think that something's got to give, I don't see us losing nine in a row to Philadelphia market down giants, 26, 23, um, you know, I would like to spend more time on this, but we are running short, so we should probably move on to the Jets at this time. Oof. They are 0-9. New England beat them 30 to 27 somehow without with they trailed every second of the game, and they still won. Uh, 51-yard field goal by Nick Folk, a former Jet, to make matters worse. Uh, and. <laughs> Jets' first 0-9 start in franchise history. New England has won nine straight against the Jets. They've owned them in their divisional matchups lately. Uh, In 1996, fun fact, the Jets were 0-8 and won their ninth game with a backup quarterback. You may know him by the name of Frank Reich. He is now the coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Joe Flacco, backup quarterback, started for injured Sam Darnold on Monday night, but did not have that same fortune, unfortunately, despite his three touchdown passes. Three touchdown passes in one game. Sam Darnold has three touchdown passes in this season. Just to put that into perspective, uh, you know, it, just a matter of the Jets sucking to suck.
2: This is it's a tank job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because they should have won that game easily. It's a, it was a tank job. Yeah, that's the reality of the situation. Now, my there, question to you guys is this: is that in this game, because this is how I viewed it, I, I felt that they put Joe Flacco in a better position to win than they have Sam Darnold throughout the entirety of his career. That I, I just feel that way strongly. He had all mean, his offensive weapon. Continue, James. Sorry. You mean like the weapons wise or coaching wise? Both. Both. I thought this was prop again. If, if the Jets win this game, this is one of Adam Gase's best coached games. Yes, they blew a lead late, but if you notice the last drive of the game, which the Jets had to, because the Jets had the opportunity first to go down the field and kick a field goal, and they throw a little, they throw a little short pass to Frank Gore, get about five yards, something like that, and then no defensive plays throughout the entirety of the game. And Dietrich Wise, who's not even an edge rusher, somehow gets to the quarterback on Mekhi Becton. Somehow. I mean, it somehow happens when there's a guy right five feet in front of Joe Flacco that he could throw the ball to get a 20-yard gain, and he just decided to hold on to the ball for some reason looking for the long pass. I don't know if that's a choke. I don't know what that is. I know people say, who cares? Joe Flacco's not caring about Trevor Lawrence. But it's all about the game plan. It's all about the game plan and what the coach is telling them to do. And the coach throughout the entirety of the game, you know, you want to give Adam Gase some credit? He coached a beautiful game up until literally that last two minutes.
1: Which is why the Jets are still holding on to him as a head coach, because they know he's capable of putting together good games, but he just can't do it consistently enough. The Jets are consistently good at being bad, and that's what they are. And I agree with Hank's comment. Um, Look, New England has something in Jacoby Myers. Julian Edelman, he's he's been banged up all year. Remember, you guys got to remember something. As bad as Cam Newton's been – they haven't had Julian Edelman since week six. They haven't had Sony Michelle in weeks. They were without James White for a few weeks. And, and England, he had COVID. Yeah, he did. He did have COVID. And yep. this defense is missing a lot of pieces. Remember, a lot of these guys opted out. So you can't just go out and say, Oh, New England's
2: bad. No, they're not bad. Are, Are just they been, they've just been really? hit with the they've just been hit with they're the opt-out not. and COVID more than anybody, any other team. You know, maybe with the exception of the 49ers, they've just been hit so hard.
1: This is a special year that we are living in for many different reasons, but this is probably the most significant one that for the New England Patriots, uh, they just have lost a lot from last year. They lost Tom Brady. They lost the defense. They lost their special teams coordinator. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And now the Jets head into their bye week win list and New England back in the – Hunts at three and five. So some week nine takeaways. Steelers remain undefeated. They're nine and oh. actually, no, I think they're eight and oh because they had their bye already. Um Des Bryant and Antonio Brown returned to the to the NFL, making starts for their new teams, respectively. Des Bryant making his debut as the Baltimore, as a Baltimore Raven. He didn't have any catches, but he was out there played some reps, and then A.B., three catches. He could be a huge upgrade over Scotty Miller as that number three wide receiver when yeah. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans come back, because I'm going to be quite frank with you guys. Tampa Bay's loaded. You make Scotty Miller, your number four now behind A.B. That's a dream scenario right there. You have two fantastic tight ends in Robert Gronkowski and Cameron Bray.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Leonard Fournette, uh,
0: Ronald oh, Jones,
1: yeah. Sean McCoy, if he gets healthy all of those guys I just mentioned could start for other teams. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Even with McCoy at 30 plus years of age, even Scotty Miller, who could probably be the number two wide receiver on the jets. he be the High number, number one player. on the jets. He could. Yeah, he could be, but, um, and the NFC is wide open. That's another big takeaway for me in week nine. I mean, we saw the saints beat the Bucks, So now it's like, is it the saints? Is it the Bucks? Is it the Packers? Is it the Seahawks? I mean, Look, I'm not sold on the Seahawks at all. I think they lose again in week 10 to the Rams.
2: I wouldn't go that far and say that. I mean, in in terms of the Seahawks, it's not the offense. It's just the defense is just so, so bad. Yeah. Which is surprising because they brought in guys like Dunlap, who was supposed to be good, and they gave away, you know, the franchise for Jamal Adams, I think two first-round picks or something like that. And I actually saw this the other day. In terms of safety rankings – He's number like 77, which is insane. Considering where he was as a top three safety in the league, and now he's ranked number 77. Mm-hmm. He's dealing with a groin injury, but still, its I mean, that's insane.
1: He has not feasted in Seattle. But no.
2: we look at some of the Week 10 matchups
1: tomorrow night on Thursday night, football, Colts, Titans. That's going to be a classic. I'm that's really
3: looking game. forward to that. What was that, James? That's going to be a good game. That's probably going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, I don't know about
2: high-scoring. I think we see a lot of field goals in this game. <laughs> Seeing have uh, uh, Rodrigo Blankenship versus uh, Steven Gaskowski.
1: Yeah, that's going to that be a lot of fun. I, if you have Jonathan Taylor in your fantasy league, I do not recommend starting him this week. Uh, he's probably in a um, timeshare right now with Wilkins for the Colts. But – other big games, we have the Bucks and the Panthers. That's a big game now because of how well the Panthers play the Chiefs. The Chargers at the Dolphins, two rookies, Herbert and two. I figured I'd throw that in there. That's going to be a lot of fun. I couldn't tell you who wins that, but Miami's been pretty darn impressive. They just beat the Rams and uh, the Cardinals, two teams in that coveted NFC West, which is not easy to do. Broncos at Raiders, divisional matchup. You know, Denver still looking to get Drew Locke back 100%. Uh, Buffalo at Arizona, which could possibly be the game of the week that or Seattle and LA, but, uh, Buffalo at Arizona, East coast, to West coast, you know, Cardinals,
2: they coming, uh, they're coming off a buy or, uh, did they play last week? Yeah. Arizona, Arizona played, uh, Miami and the bills That's played right. Seattle. That's right. Um, uh,
1: yeah, so that should be a fun game. And then San Francisco at New Orleans, which uh, I hope, be a nightmare. Not, hope that's not on national TV because that's going to be tough to watch. Yeah. Uh, Drew Brees has Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders both back now. Um, yeah, you know, the Saints are a team that they're going to start trending upward as well. That Saints Bucks divisional race is going to be crazy. And the fact that the Saints won both matchups, I think it's going to be edge Saints for that division right now. I mean, they're going for the number one seed with the Bucks, Seahawks, and Packers. I don't think anyone else has a shot at it outside of those four. So it's going to be one of them. Uh, and then you look, Seattle playing against the L.A. Rams could be a potential trap game for them on the road, being that the Seahawks have not been very successful on the road against the Rams historically. So that's part of the reason why I'm picking the Rams and I want to be different from the rest of you guys who are going
3: with Seattle. Uh, sorry, but, yeah, you know. All good. Uh, you're, you're, taking a, you're taking my strategy, it seems like, for that. one for that game. Yeah.
1: Um, and then before we elaborate, just two more games. Ravens at Pats. Never Should know. Should be
3: a win. That's Should Sunday be a win just, for the Ravens. That's Sunday night's game.
1: Yeah, and then Monday night, Minnesota and Chicago. Uh, The road to the seventh seed for the Vikings begins now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, don't be surprised if Minnesota gets in.
2: I'm not going to be – I wouldn't say I'd be surprised. I mean, they just – they started off the season – they started off the season so poorly. Uh, That's what really hurt them, you know, especially that game against Atlanta where Kirk Cousins is throwing three picks to one of the worst defenses in the NFL. But uh, they could definitely get back in, and no doubt. Uh, any any
1: final thoughts on this N- uh, NFL Week Ten segment?
2: I think I'm good. I think we got it all out there. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend. A lot of good uh, games.
3: The Jets fans get a bye, so they can. So um, you can't
2: lose this week, guys.
3: Yeah, but the memes will be out there where they lost to the bye week. Um, I'm <laughs> looking forward undefeated. to this. Like, how could you lose a bye week? Like, is there,
2: is that like, like, has anyone ever lost the bye week before? I mean, now they can't, they can't, I don't think they could leave the state. So they got to stay home on their vacation. So I guess that's yeah. a loss. Yeah. Um, so five more minutes here,
1: folks. We're just going to go over some of the MLB awards that have came in out uh, today and the last couple of days. National League Rookie of the Year, Devin Williams, went 4-1 in relief, uh, .33 earned run average, giving up only one run in 22 appearances. Kyle, I have not heard much about this guy, but he was a good player for Milwaukee this year.
2: Yeah, I was a little bit surprised. I thought he was going to go to Cronworth, I want to say. I was a little surprised that Williams did come out uh, and win that. He definitely had a good season, there's no doubt, but I, I was rolling with a I was rolling with Cronworth. I believe he plays for the Pirates, I want to say.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, he was a good one, too. Who else? And the, Nash- the National League – I'm sorry, the American League one.
2: It's uh, Kyle Lewis. Yeah, from the Seattle Mariners. That wasn't that much of a surprise. Um, he should have won it. It went, to, it went to the right option, in my personal opinion. I mean, 11 homers in yeah. a 60 game
1: season is not bad for a rookie. Oh, so- yeah. And he won it unanimously, too. That that was very interesting to read. So, uh, But, yeah, rightfully so. I mean, you put up those types of numbers, you're going to succeed. And then uh, Don Mattingly of the Miami Marlins, winning National League Manager of the Year. Guys, uh, bringing Miami to the playoffs for the first time since 2003. How, how exciting was that to watch Miami in the playoffs? Uh, sorry, James.
3: No, you're good. That was – I enjoyed that. Nobody was expecting it. It was just—I'm um, pretty sure that we all were it. It was like the first time since early 2000s and whatnot. Um, and we have to remember, he worked with all substitute players yeah. in the early part of the season. We have to remember that his whole pretty much starting roster had COVID. Had COVID. So yeah. for him to use what he had and then got his starters back to make it to the playoffs and make somewhat a little bit of a run, that's some good coaching.
2: Yeah, it is. Best Yankee to never win a ring, but uh, very, very happy for him. Well-deserved. Like James said, I know that when we were predicting the MLB playoffs, I know I was hoping that they could continue that streak of uh, not losing in the playoffs and not getting back to the World Series, but making that kind of miracle run once again. Yep. Speaking of good coaching, the American League Kevin Cash
1: wins the American League Manager of the Year award despite the questionable managerial tactics he displayed in Game Six of the World Series. He takes home the crown for that reward.
2: Bittersweet, but well deserved, no doubt. He was the he was the best coach in the AL in terms of uh, win loss record. So, and again, you know, you bring up that one tidbit about the World Series. I don't blame that all on him. It's it's on him, but I'm blaming that all on him. You're going to go against your grit and grind that's been helping you win all year? Just unfortunately didn't pan out that one time.
1: Hank likes the Don Mattingly pick with his Donny comment baseball.
3: There baseball.
1: Former Yank. Um, yeah, and then the Cy Young Awards were announced tonight. American League it's Shane Bieber for the Cleveland Indians. Well-deserved. I mean... Yeah. In my opinion, he was the best pitcher in all of baseball this yeah. year. Yeah, He was real good. And then the National League, it's Trevor Bauer. So the Grams back-to-back streak comes to a halt, although he was a finalist. But yeah. congratulations, Trevor Bauer, future Met. <laughs> yeah.
3: Wait, but. what? What? Yes. Uh, that, would be, uh, I, uh, that would I be a
1: rotation
2: for the ages. That would be a rotation for the ages. Well, Just saying, we have that mula now.
3: Tommy, you did bring up the Mets. Who did uh, Steve Cohen give the boot to?
1: Well, Mr. Brody Van Wagenen has packed his bags and is departing New York City. So uh, that's great news. The Mets are in search for a new GM and uh, they cleaned house. They got rid of Omar Minaya. They got rid of a bunch of their uh, front office people. So I was real happy about that because Minaya, the Wilpons, it's like we're living in like 2008 again. You know what I'm saying? So yep. I really like seeing that. But Steve Cohen is, you know, listening to the fans, getting insight, and he's just doing his thing, man, back in that New York groove. Let's see if they could. Uh... And he came out and made a statement saying, uh, I'll be disappointed if
2: we don't win a World Series in three to five years. Yep. I was going to ask you guys about that. How do you feel about that? Is that more of a uh, "don't set the bar too high and let down expectations"? Or likes the enthusiasm by Met fans? I wanted to get that kind of perspective from you guys. I don't like the statement at all because you're you're, you're coming in and
1: you're basically saying, "Oh, if I don't accomplish this, fire me in three to five years." Like they're not going to fire just, the owner, but right? I just like you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I got not, not the right guy. Like. It's just something you don't say. Uh, You can say it like, oh, I want to bring this team a championship in the next three to five years. That's how I would have said it. You know, I wouldn't say I'd be disappointed if if we don't. I'd say I would like to win in that time span. And then if we don't, you know, at least see substantial progress, uh, you know, a couple playoff appearances because this team is right on the verge. It really is right right on the verge. I, I still think, And again, yeah, I'm a little biased. I think the Grom's the best pitcher in the
2: league, but. He is. He is. There's no doubt. I, I, Not not argue. but I mean. He's definitely there.
1: The problem is the Mets need to bring in a catcher. Wilson Ramos is gone. Uh, We have to do a couple of other things to uh, trim up our bullpen a little bit, get the right arms in there. Yeah. Not a lot of arms in there. We need the right arms, like. Arms that we could really rely on, and they were a little bit better this year. You know, Edwin Diaz is showing that hey, maybe he is the guy in the ninth inning. You know,
2: uh, but we'll see. Anything uh, better than Rick Porcello and Michael Walker, and you guys should be okay. Yeah, hopefully the band
1: aid days are done. I, I I just I'm sick of peeling them off. They're painful. They're gross. Yeah. And they make me want to vomit sometimes. So
2: that's that's the story of. Hopefully those Mets days are behind you guys. I look forward to a lot of success for you guys. I'd be really happy to see somebody win something in New York. James, Kyle, thank you very
1: much for joining me tonight. This was fun. This was good. Uh, Kyle completing his week nine punishment, looking sharp. James joining us for the second half of the show. Uh, Real good stuff. And remember, check out our show Big Blue Avenue tomorrow night. It'll be Hank and Dichter and myself starting at a special time, 6.30 p.m. Oh, we have a doubleheader tonight. This is the first time. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. We, uh, tomorrow. Thank you, James. Always oh. on top of things here, correcting myself. Um, tomorrow we have a doubleheader for the first time in the nine-year history of Review and Preview. It will be started off at 6.30 p.m. with Big Blue Avenue, where myself and Hank and Dichter – We'll recap the Giants' win over the Washington football team and preview a must-win game against the Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday with host of the Entertain Ya! Talking Sports podcast, Chris Guzzo. He is a Giants fan, YouTuber, does all things New York sports, Giants, Mets, Knicks, Yanks. You know it. Uh, Check out his YouTube channel. He's closing in on 30K subscribers. Smash the like button, give him a follow, shout him out. Uh, And then you can follow his Instagram account as well and Twitter. And then at 8.30 p.m., it'll be the North Pole starring Gabe Fleet. And our very own Gabe takes the stage uh, for the second show of the night. He will be interviewing Vikings analyst Stephen B. Uh, and that should be good. And he'll be setting up that Vikings-Bears game, talking a little Green Bay in Detroit. So really looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun night tomorrow. hope you guys got the coffee out, staying up late. Should be a good one. I'll definitely be tuning in. Yeah. All right, guys, the fun begins. On behalf of James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Good night, everybody.